0: Watch me. Fire up your chainsaw and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number 92 and my name's Jakob. And my name's Randy. And today, the prodigal son returns once more. Jack Look <laughs> Sharp's in the house. Thank How you. are you doing, Jack?
1: <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you very much for inviting me on. I was saying before we started this, it's always a pleasure to be invited on and, and to spend some time talking about films that no one else wants to talk about. So again, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, I can't wait to talk about some Toby Hooper today. It's going to be very oh, interesting. Yeah. Awesome.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I mean, you're always invi- like you're always in- like you just all you need to do is just come out of the woodwork because you're like a yeah. swamp thing. they just like disappear for months on it and be like, yeah, I'm here, guys. Well, <laughs> it, it got
1: canceled after one season. So it's back. It's in the public domain now anyway. So well, for me, there's it's only just... one
0: swamp thing and it's, it's Wes Cravens and still dog shit. <laughs>
1: I thought you were gonna to go The to Creature of the Blue Lagoon, some classic.
0: Oh, the oh, the Black Lagoon. Was it the Blue Lagoon? Wasn't this about the two oh, teenagers? That the, the, banging yeah, yeah. Blue the
2: beach? <laughs> different lagoons? This is, a, this
0: is a this is a crossover movie yeah, that a needs to happen. A Creature of the yeah. Blue Lagoon, like this, what? just like yeah. this swamp thing comes out so and says, so like, much... Why are your kids doing? Stop doing so it to her. <laughs> let Lagoon yeah. Month. We'll have to do a Lagoon yeah. Month. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know about that one, but yeah, the, the, yeah, the lagoon. Blo- what are you people
0: doing? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <coughs> uh, yeah, so happy to have you with us in here. So uh, today we're talking Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Before we actually proceed to do this, anyway, traditional Patreon plug so that, so you know what we have uh, cooking for you on our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash uncut gems pod. Uh, so, the full complement of Focus Over episodes is available now to listen, which is the original Texas chain Saw Massacre, <laughs> a bonus time, uh, Suspiria, which R- Randy and uh, Nick recorded in my absence because I was down with the sickness. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, in Mulholland Drive, the uh, this month's installment uh, of. The David Lynch marathon is also by the time you're listening to this uh, is also available to listen on our Patreon. And then I might as well just tease what's coming in November, uh, because after this sort of Hollywood, not Hollywood, Halloween shenanigans, kind of come to a close next week with Suspiria, we'll be doing a little bit of a double bill about martial arts films, or specifically martial arts films directed by actors who who turned directors and that was their film debut. So we'll do in The Quest and then the man of Tai Chi. So get ready. And then as a result of this, we're going to be doing a um, bonus tie in tying into this. And we're going to be talking about Enter the Dragon, because if you, you can't be talking about martial arts without, without mentioning Bruce Lee. And then also later in the month, I think we'll be talking. I mean, we've mentioned this already. We'll be talking about toy soldiers on the show, and we're hoping to get Jackson back in house for this because uh, he's a fan. And then in, as a bonus tie into this, we'll be doing Dead Poets Society. So uh, get ready. And then also Inland Empire is going to be the this month's installment of the David Lynch Marathon. And that's about it as far as plugging stuff is concerned. Remember, patreon.com slash Pod is where you want to go to listen to our extra shit. Three bucks a month is all that takes to unlock everything. And now at this point, I think there's well over 30 podcasts to listen to. So like bang for your buck, I think is what it, what I'm trying to say anyway enough me plugging let's just get busy with it right so let's just talk about texas chainsaw massacre 2.
1: what was it anyway the the
3: rambo 3 soundtrack
1: Play it again. Uh, uh, sure would like it. Hey, maybe I, I could get a copy. A- and and you could autograph it to uh, uh, a far out fan. <laughs> hey, what's in here?
3: Record vault.
1: Oh, where you keep the golden oldies and. Uh...
0: Maybe, uh, maybe the new music's... So, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 reunites, I think, the uh, infamous Sawyer family, I think they're called Sawyers, Uh, after over a decade after the events of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1, during which time they grew into some kind of an urban legend, as the uh, opening crawl suggests then uh, these massacres apparently would periodically reappear all throughout Texas. And anyway, we catch up with Leatherface, The Cook, Chop Top, and Grandpa, uh, or Gramps. Gr- I think it's Grandpa. As, I think it's Gramps, isn't it? Of, is it Gramps
1: i don't know uh, i didn't notice <laughs> they're all they're all fucked up anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a weird <laughs> family with no
0: women by the way so it's just a very sort of male situation going on there and they torment a pair of high school students out on the road to you know doing whatever kids do shoot out signs and torment other sort of road users i suppose and they kill them off and then they eventually just turn their gaze on a local radio dj and that's caroline williams And and what they don't know is that also someone else is after them, and that's Lieutenant, I think it's Bodie Enright, Bood Enright? Nicknamed Lefty, that's Dennis Hopper, and and he's out for revenge because they've taken someone uh, he uh, held near and dear to his heart, but more on that later. Anyway, so the movie took, I want to say it took 12 years to make. I don't think anybody wanted to make this film. Uh, (laughs) It's because in between these two films, like Toby Hooper did Eaten Alive, The Fun House, Poltergeist, Life Force, and I think Invaders from Mars. So he wasn't that interested in coming back to the to, to the original 1974 classic that kind of propelled him to stardom. Um, but he did, nonetheless. I think Cannon was interested in making this film, and then Golan and Globus were like, "Yeah, we're making this movie, and so so how about you? You figure out how to how to make it, and then Toby Hooper wanted to make it a black comedy." Uh, uh, sort of like a horror comedy situation, and then Golan and Globus were like, No, 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 like you're making a horror film, this has to be bloody. So, uh, so this is what came out, and uh, so and also apparently he didn't want to direct it himself, but then he looked at the budget and he was like, We can't afford to hire anyone to direct, so I kind of have to do it because we don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, true story, uh, so yeah. Uh, Gunner Hansen was approached to reprise the role, but uh, they offered him too little money. Just like, yeah, they didn't have enough money to hire a director. Like, what did you expect? But no, you know, but there was a bit of a story I think attached to it because they offered him some uh, scale plus ten percent for his manager. But he said like, I don't have a manager. Well, then you don't get the ten percent. So I <laughs> told him to fuck off. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not kidding. This is what happened. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I suppose. Special effects were done by Tom Savini. The film, as tradition dictates, was uh, unrated. I think because in the alternative was getting getting an X rating, so it was, I don't know, released without a rating. Got eight million dollars out of the box office. Was received in a mixed way, but since it became a cult classic. But more on that later. I think we're just gonna get to what it is and what it what it isn't in a few seconds. But let's just talk about the movie. So, Jack, how about you start us off? Tell us what do you think about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 Part to do it. Well as
1: a as a small prelude, I think it, it's always it always really interests me when, when we get like a, a Titan of Horror. So just like a nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the thirteenth, um again, like like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween even. And a few years later, uh you, you would get a sequel. And I'm always always fascinated what they do with the sequel because you have these titans. Where the the revolutionise the genre, the they have certain iconography that defines the genre for decades to come. I mean, Michael Myers is 40 years now, um, and and it still looks as good as ever. It still shocks. I mean, Texas a Genzo massacre, uh, Texas, the, the 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 mask itself. There the are a certain sort of not necessarily casualties that that come with these franchises, but there's stuff that they have to live up to. So I'm always quite fascinated what what they do with the something sort of like these sequels. And for the most for the most part, some of them always slightly underwhelmed. I think like Rick Rosenthal's Halloween Two changes the game to be a a, a far greater like horror film. Um, greater? No, 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 no. I wouldn't say greater. I mean greater in like it's a it's a horror film. Like it's a, it's a more right. emphasis
0: on horror. I don't want to hijack um, the film and start defending no, 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 Halloween no, here, but yeah, like...
1: no, 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 no. It's all right. Like wh- when you get to like a Nightmare on Elm Street two, where there's a there's a very strange um, at, at the time a, stra- a uh, sort of stranger emphasis on, on it being a, a male victim, and then decades uh, throughout you get sort of the subtext of this this uh, uh, more more gay closeted uh, homosexual character, which actually works wonders um, more so now. But then I can understand why people were like, ah, this this is against type. And then you get something like this, uh, which is very much against type. So it's always interesting to go back and look at like the Titans and then look at what someone brought up after the fact. And usually, more often than not, it's not the same person who comes back, John Cowan and Rick Rosenthal, uh, uh, Wes Craven, and, and whoever else did Nightmare on the 2, I don't think it's him. And then you get here. But this is different. This has Toby Hooper come back. And what surprised me about this, because uh, I, I again, I'll get into my, my thoughts very so I promise not to take it over, but I didn't know that this was uh, this had a gap of life force, poltergeist, quite a few big films for Toby Hooper within the horror genre. This isn't just a, um, a a craft original float around, do nothing, and then come back to this. The man had made a career, and with Poltergeist working with Spielberg mm-hmm. and working with which I, I believe is is it uh, 20th century fox or Universal. There's a big franchise there as well, so I was surprised that he went back after so long. Um, but i first i first found this film when i was doing a a marathon of this Um, and these sequels in england they're not about you jacob are Mm -hmm. very hard to get very hard to get next generation
0: it's on arrow sorry it's yeah yeah no that
1: that, uh, this is where this is where i'm going to come to yeah uh uh, leather the one that's on arrow (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) because the rest are like
0: tell me where to get them
1: (laughs) part three Leatherface. You just—it's on DVD and it's extremely rare to find. And Next Generation's on Apple TV, but it mm-hmm. isn't a HD copper. So you you buy it and it looks like VHS. It's terrible. So finding the sequels it actually um, makes
0: it better if you think about it.
1: No, I, no, this is very 90s yeah.
0: with Matthew yeah. McConaughey and, and, and
1: Zellweger. Zen- Zen- yeah, Ren- <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the third one has a there's a Viggo Mortensen, but we'll, we'll digress. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but you know, then you get into like uh. the the. Remix in 2003 the prequels with michael bain then you get into the 2013 so it's, it's had definitely a career but the second one um was was the easiest to find uh which again was provided by arrow video so w- when you get that pre- presentation you get a pristine picture and you get the book and you get some essays and there's a bit more context about it so going into this film i had a little bit more of a of a, of a prelude to what because going off the street and watching it. um and my thoughts haven't necessarily changed since the first time I saw this film. It's fun. It definitely would take a lot to, uh, as a, as a major fan of the original, which I am, it takes quite a lot of hard work to gravitate towards this. As to be to be fair to it, to be more kind, um, and also I think that time has done this film much like the Nightmare on Elm Street two a lot of favors because watching this in, in eighty six, um, waiting for years and years, not being able to get like DVDs vhs like you probably laser disc was the option to to wait for this really high highly anticipated sequel um to read that like you know that it's on a low budget the original director's back but they didn't want to be which i be back but again that probably wasn't um uh, common knowledge um i'd have been really really fucked off watching this in the cinema as a as a fan of the original
0: just as a as a point of note because i failed to mention completely if you wanted to watch it in 1986, you probably would have had to live in America in quite in quite one of the few big cities because everywhere else, this thing was banned.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With the the (laughs) NC-17. Yeah. Uh, Like in Germany it was
0: banned. I think in the UK they banned it. I think they released it in 2001 because they wanted Toby Hooper to shave off 25 minutes of film.
1: <laughs> well, I, I read I read about the Germany thing. It only came available when it was on DVD, and which is yeah, yeah. which. Looking so, looking back on it, it's not particularly like shocking. But again, I, I can understand the Australia is the same as well. It, it never really had a release until the the the, the mid like 2000s. Yeah, yeah, which is quite shocking. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I think. Uh, th- this film has uh, again time has been a great friend to this film and and watching dennis hopper the late great dennis hopper as well with all of his uh charms and issues uh it's always interesting to see a performer like that give a, a, a and powerful performance <laughs> um I, I i i'm not going to watch this just with with, with uh you know <laughs> glitter eyes this film has major issues regarding like story and character depth but for what it is i always find it sort of Quite an interesting companion piece to, to to its predecessor, not necessarily because it takes creative decisions that are out there, but um, there's definitely sort of a subtext of why it makes these decisions and wants to blend tone quite well. And 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 getting onto specifics later on, I think it has a very strong screen queen as well. Very powerful iconographer. It's great. It's very dirty in the fact where uh, there's some really squeamish things in here, which. I think are even stronger than the 1974 version. Um, I think it, it it isn't, which is strange because I would have thought that the, the, the it would have been alienated with a uh, budget, which the first one you'd have thought would have been far more uh, constraint with that. But this one feels like it, it, it excels having to sort of be more bloody and violent in order to sort of like, ah, oh, we're we're on the same track, you know, where, where the turns on massacre two, um, I think it does a, a pretty good job there with, with with some sort of gore, especially with like face mask stuff, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get into. But being able to go back to this film again with a presentation from Arrow, it's a really good experience. It's very much a time capsule, but it's a time capsule. I often like to revisit on Halloween just to sort of um, deflate the mood of such, you know, within, within sort of its uh, contemporaries. It's a nice little twist, especially mm-hmm. on tone. Yeah.
0: Fabulous, Randy. What's your take?
3: Well, I'll start off for for all those who listen to our Patreon episode. We we came up with a question, Jacob and I, because we wondered why on earth in the original film is chainsaw two words, and in every film since it's it's one compound word. So I, I dug into that a little bit, and all I could find is somewhere from 1974 to 1986. The idiomatic usage of the word chainsaw in the English language, it became a proper compound word. So if you go back and look at old Husqvarna catalogs in the early 70s, it was two words. And before- Did you actually
0: go to your library and then look up? <laughs> old husqvarna <laughs> catalogs no but no it's like I, your your local I, library holds like a whole stock of husqvarna catalogs no imagine. but i did
3: i did find some old steel ads and uh, and chainsaw was was two words so that did seem to corroborate what i found you, so anyway
0: yeah suppose someone I got pissed off at some that. point they were just like oh hank can you pass me the chainsaw so <laughs> 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 just too big a, an an administrative issue to hit that space uh, the
3: extra time so anyway yeah that's what we found out if anyone on her patreon channel was really dying you're getting waiting right? for this episode to <laughs> yeah. find out the history of this why the hell is that spelled with a space anyway there it is that's what i found um yeah for me like i'm not necessarily a big horror aficionado like i, I tend to see the the first film or two of a series but i i over the years, have frequently just tuned out. Um, Jack alluded to this. Often, you get a, a much different reputation following the first film or two in a franchise. You know, so it's, it's common enough for series to fall into cheesiness or inconsistent quality. So, I, I over the years have tended to stay away from, a lot of sequels, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was one of those, was one of those series. So, I'm trying to remedy that and go through a few of, of the chainsaw series now i've seen a couple more um but in going back to the talk that we had on the original over on the patreon episode i became very interested because just our our chat made me wonder about uh toby hooper because he's not necessarily a guy i have a whole lot of history with but what i find really interesting about hooper is he's got this one legit original innovative masterwork a a major hit a cultural phenomenon life force (laughs) (laughs) yes the fun house (laughs) 1982 (laughs) sorry
0: i
2: had to
3: (laughs) but he's he's got this one legitimate phenomenon and when i look at the other films i tend not to be overly impressed with him so i'm sort of wondering what it is about what it is about him when he sort of moved over to the studio system and you know got entrenched in that so i find him a very interesting guy like since um since watching a couple years ago i watched texas chainsaw massacre again and i sort of had this question i should watch some more hooper films so in the last couple years i've seen poltergeist and life force and the fun house um, today i watched eaten alive and then a day or two ago, I watched this. And I sort of think he's a bit of a one-hit wonder, but I'm hoping this conversation will help sort of flesh out because I think there's things that he does really well. I think he is a good director, but I see him more as a competent company man as opposed to a you know visionary storyteller. That's just sort of my uh, an initial take. And I just wonder after his original with Kim Henkel, who was a major force in you know writing that and part of the production as well. After that, they influenced the genre. And then that was sort of such a turning point for horror that other storytellers ended up taking the baton and going with it. And then when Hooper sort of goes back to it, he ends up following the trends that other people are forming. It's almost like he had the great idea, but now everyone else has taken it and run with it sort of like steve's on and out of sight which we talked about a couple weeks ago <laughs> steve's on is this great idea but as soon as he mentions this wonderful idea for a heist to george Fucking Clooney don and don Cheadle. Cheadle, everyone else steals the idea and they leave steve's <laughs> on out of it and i wonder if that's toby hooper a, a little bit like he's sort of at the forefront of of you know horror and what it's becoming but i, I just i don't see him with another uh you know great storytelling effort like i say he's, like he's he's a good filmmaker but nothing has blown me away since so i'm really looking and sort of getting into this and i my theory on this maybe a little bit is that he hasn't really written anything else like i think if you look at all of his writing credits he's got like 22 writing credits on imdb and they're all texas chainsaw massacre related. Based I mean, on character's by
0: based on 1974 or, by Or like a cra- character's based on Yeah. yeah So he I did just the mangler. I wonder he wrote the Mangler.
3: Yeah, and I think he wrote Spontaneous <laughs> Combustion which was one I think he also directed. So he's got a couple but for the most part he doesn't return as a as a writer and I just I, sometimes I just wonder if he's a he's a good filmmaker but he's as good as his script. So anyway, there's I'm just sort of spewing a couple of theories there that maybe I hope are discussions get us into um but in terms of what this film is texas chainsaw massacre 2 it's noisy it's rambunctious but it falls sort of into the same conversation we had last week when we talked about nothing but trouble something that evolved in the 1980s was this idea of like i'll call the the horror comedy spectrum where you have uh like halloween type scares and then you've got sort of you know fun and quirkiness and and comedy and You've got some films like like Sam Raimi was a guy who did it right, and his leaned more towards horror, but the you know the the comedy and the the fun was sort of in there. And then you have Tim Burton, another guy who did it well, but his was more fun and but you know more safe with you know the horror type of uh, you know goth material. But it's this weird thing that we keep seeing coming out in the '80s, and I think it's a really it's a hard difficulty level. If it's a gymnastics move, there's a hard difficulty level on this particular move and it's hard to, to land. It's really hard to nail this and get the tone perfect. So if you're going for a horror with a certain amount of comedy or a comedy with a certain amount of eeriness, like it's really hard to stick that landing I find. And for me, this film doesn't really do it, but I, I like the effort and there's, there is some fun stuff in here. Um, But it doesn't entirely work, you know, but, Anyway, I'll leave it at that, and uh, I'll pass the baton to
0: to you, Jakob, for your thoughts. Cool. Uh, interesting. Um, I will say this. I, I I, thought I had seen this before. I don't think I have, because I, it's, uh, my history of the franchise is quite patchy. Like, I saw the fourth one, I saw the remix, and it's just like, at some point, I don't quite know which ones I saw, because they, they don't really form a series, and I think we tried to kind of just get into this a little bit, because they all re -re recircle back to the original. Like they all pretend Mm -mm. like the franchise doesn't exist. (laughs) And I think even like the third one, they they were close to actually just as I was reading up on 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 the second one now. I think the third one, the the idea was okay, well let's just connect the second one and the first one and then make the third one somehow and then at some point they retcon everything like the second one doesn't happen in it so like it's almost like a curse like it's just there's this one masterpiece and then every everyone kind of recir- recircles back to it either from the front or from the back it's either a prequel or a sequel or a remake mm-hmm. of the original but nothing like no you'll never see like i don't know Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre 17 and it's just like they'll they'll make a mention of <laughs> of the, of what's happened here yeah, right no stretch <laughs> Of stretch or lefty, like no, none of this make, make makes like a lasting sort of cultural footprint. But I'll say this: like the first one is a perfect film. I said this once. I said I'll say it again. Like this is this is very difficult to top. Like it's almost like a, it's a it's a lightning in a bottle. It's a flash in the pan that this happened mm-hmm. in a way that it did because it's. Just, <laughs> Um, we'll we'll get to in a second why I think that's, this happens because I think it's a genuine con- discussion point. But uh, just on term- in terms of like general impressions, this is everything. This the original is not right, which is which in a way it makes it more it makes it interesting because like the original is kind of it's gritty, it's very tight, it's almost like a documentary. Like it feels like it's you know like there's a news crew just following these people as they're just getting pegged off, uh, and. And then I suppose, like the allure of the front of 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 any anybody making a franchise out of something like this is just well, like, well, there are these memorable characters. Can we just make some more shit with them, even though the film does not center around around them anyway? They're just like a random family that these people. Well, it's not a random family, but <laughs> they're just like these people stumble upon this house and there's this shit happening in this house, right? So it's not like they're just these super villains that they're they're defined by their by their power tools. It just happens that they're just they're just fucking maniacs, right? So in in here it's all different. Like it's not very it's very glitzy. It's very like you could see how Toby Hooper has graduated through the years. Like he he he. This is essentially a studio film, right? But um, it's very colorful, and this is something that really struck me. It's very green, very blue, very red, very purple. It's very neon. It's very very sort of glitzy and flashy and uh, jazzy and and it's very loud and then mm-hmm. on like, I, I remember when, when, like, one of my gambits was on, on the original was like there are filmmakers who took the dinner scene energy and they tried to make careers out of it and one of them is Rob Zombie and I think Rob Zombie look, looked at this film sp- in particular and he was like I want to make movies like this like this is my aesthetic like he looks he, he looked at this movie the way Tarantino looked at Bandapart <laughs> and was just like no I want to make movies like this you know and then, and he essentially made like a house of a thousand corpses, which is exactly kind of like a carbon copy of this in, in more ways than one. Right. And you know what, I, I can kind of hear for it, even though it's. Uh, the movie has like wild problems, like in terms of like mm-hmm. what the story, where the story goes, like the pacing. Like half the time, you're just like, I have no idea why are we- why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's
0: what's happening? Why are we? Why is this woman running in in a big dinosaur uh, skeleton in front of a car? <laughs> I don't get it. Why are, why are we on a mountain? Are, are we in in the hills have eyes all of a sudden? What's happening? You know, like or is this a house? I'm not sure. We're underground, right? Why are these guts? What are these guts doing in the cupboard? You know, it's just, it's just like you, at some point I think the the recipe is you kind of have to stop questioning and just let it wash over you, however gru- gruesome this is, right? And I think this is how I ended up having having a, a decent good time with it because, like, if you really want to di- sort of dissect it the way like Roger Ebert did, like you're not gonna like it, like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but as a the more I think about it, the more, I th- the, more I, the more in awe I am of what this film is, especially when you think about, like, I watched Invaders from, from Mars and it's dog shit, right? <laughs> like, I've, I've seen Life Force, not good, right? Like So, Toby Hooper is very patchy, but I think this is where he kind of comes back and he just goes like, well because like, he's done a bunch of films with canon at that point like he did life force he did he did invaders from mars he i think he did probably the funhouse was a canon film probably wasn't uh so he did at least two uh, two other canon films so these people knew what they could expect out of him and he just comes out with this out of nowhere like because you know so i'm in order this film exists especially and especially in compare in contrast to what what the original was and what this is it's just fascinating to me, which brings me to kind of my opening question. How does it relate to the original in general? Because I think uh, I pulled out a quote from our good buddy, Roger, because like Roger sometimes pisses me off. Sometimes I agree with him, but sometimes it's just, okay. So Ro- Roger's comment was, and I quote, has, this has a lot of blood and disembowelment to be sure, but it doesn't have the terror of the original, the desire to be taken seriously. It's a geek show. That was his comment. Like that was his criticism. This is the reason why he gave it one out of four. By the way, right? <clears throat> Asshole. Um, <laughs> um <laughs> what what do you guys think of this sort of the relationship this movie has with the original? Because I think Jack, you've alluded to this. That and then the original does not have any violence, almost at all. It has implications of violence. It has it alludes to a lot of violence, but it never shows anything. In here, this is front and center, out on display. There's heads coming off. There's, there's hammers going into people's skulls. There's loads of gory shit happening in like, for like half of it. How does it relate? And then what does it say about Toby Hooper? What does it say about this film? Do you guys like it? Where do you stand on this? The floor is yours?
1: I'll well, I'll, I'll start because I know. <laughs> um, I think I, I just to just to start, I, I agree with both of your in gambits as well. I agree with the theory you were talking about, Randy, and I also agree with you, Jacob, on most points, what you said, um, to, to try to combine them, this film feels like the antithesis of its predecessor where the first film didn't have a screenplay. This one mm. does. The first film didn't have a cinematographer per se. This film does. Uh, the first film shot on 16mm, this one shoots... On probably thirty-five millimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first what one else? had a, had a <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly. The, the, fir- the first film had a had a, had, a, uh, a had, had no stunt coordinator. This film probably does. The first film had no stars. This film does. It feels like the antithesis of of someone or or a group of people who went out to make a movie with um, the constraints of the um, economic standards. As well as about uh production standards and that's where you get the lightning in the bottle because that is human passion um character that that comes out and crafts cinema and it's like like a lightning in a bottle probably is an understatement of what that film is because it, 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 everybody can go out and do that, but often than not, you can't ever hit those heights. That film did that. And again, that's probably for a conversation you guys have already had.
0: Unless you lock these people in a room with a, with a bunch of rotten sausages for like three days at a time and then you're like, no, no, oh. we'll keep shooting until Gunnar <laughs> Hansen goes like, I can't get this squib to work, so let cut this woman's finger. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so like, you know, like, Nobody would. But, nobody else would allow this to happen.
1: <laughs> exactly, and and in and in any, in any other era, you, you'd have limitations of insurance. Um, God, um, again, Munna, you'd have uh, issues of, 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 of multitude, multifaceted issues that would condemn that film ever being made. I agree with Randy about this film having issues within the studio system because often enough when someone in cinema is in a position where there is restraints and there is constraints there, that usually the passion and the imagination takes over and crafts something against those things. Um, this film sort of, granted, as what you said in, in, in your opening, Jakob, this film didn't have uh, a whole host of money or, or, or issues where it could, it could gravitate towards and to be a big blockbuster, don't get me wrong. But it still had on a lot more than the original. I think Toby Hooper has an issue there because it's almost given to him on a plate. Where right, we've got a cinematographer to do this, we've got uh, big actors with the screenplay, and I don't think Toby Hooper brought as much to the, the to this film as the film brought to him. And that's why you get most of the issues because you don't have a screenplay, you don't have any character development, and you are so correct about the pacing. Like there are two sequences in here that are overly long to a point where they become acts. One, it, what, well, there's actually three. The first one is the car in the beginning. The second yes. one is the Radio Shack, and the third yep. one is the is the is the um I, I don't know what you call it. I, I don't the amusement I, park. The tunnel. The, the, yeah, the, the,
0: the lair, right? The, like I was just the, yeah, like, is lair. this a house? Is this what is this, is this a fun house? I don't know. Is this like a national I, I park? Know,
3: no <laughs> it's a it, it's an eighties underground amusement park.
1: Yeah, uh, Rob yeah. Zombie probably owns it now, anyway. But um, but no, the, the, there's yeah. just three he probably sequences owned it that then. Feel... <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, probably. Huh? Um, yeah, that's where he probably keeps Bob Mosley. But Jesus Christ, yeah, probably is. It felt like um, those were three sequences that were just stretched out to the max. And I think um, the what what Toby Hooper probably brings to the table is a is a grittiness of uh, boots on the ground approach where. Uh, this film is, is now realised, canon realised that this is a franchise and with a franchise it needs to be crafted in a certain way where we feel um, contemporary to the big boys and I don't think this franchise was ever built for that this, 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 this franchise was meant to be watched um, at 5am at dusk uh, with no idea what this film is about who these people are, with newcomers uh, with the, with a cash you didn't know uh, like those Italian horror films where you know they were often that you didn't know if there were snow films now granted there's a, there's a different level between those and uh, with an American feature within a European feature don't get me wrong but I just think that there's it's because there's they definitely... were hiring these Serbian <laughs> yes. prostitutes you yeah. Yeah. Yes, never were... know it's just like
0: we paid them like 200 bucks might as well just get rid of them yeah and they, 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 <laughs> they ultimately disappear
1: it. for yeah um, but but I, th- I think that there's just a definitely different type of tone that Texas, Chains- Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, and then what Canon and perhaps Toby Huber thought that it could be. So that's the first issue. Um, but to, to go back to your question, which was <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> How does it stack up against the original as in like the original? Well, Ebert, Ebert basically pointed this out, right? So the original hinted at the terror and was trying to be taken seriously how does it how does? and then this is the legacy this movie's kind of trying to build upon and then what does it do with it does it does it build on it does it dismantle it does what does it do with it and whether it's successful with it like i'm I'm interested in what you guys think about
1: yeah i I feel for the most part i've probably answered that with i think like again this the the first film is a world of its own it's meant to be something completely different to what people thought was a franchise um with the sequel, uh, and we've alluded this to before, like, like uh, Randy said, you're always going to have a very different experience with the sequel, because you're never going to sort of make those happy of die fans who love the first one, but also you need to evolve it to a point where you can find a balance between not alienating the predecessing fan base, but also bringing uh, others. Very few franchises can do that, if at all any. I mean, we, we've done the Jaws films. You look at the Jaws mm-hmm. too, like, it's so difficult to do, and I think this film was doomed if it did. And doom if it doesn't. And I think it's very clear that this film wants to be tonally very different to its predecessor, and that's the way forward that they go. And they do make it very grim. They do make it very gritter. But I think, as like Andy, uh, sorry, Randy said earlier, is that they've also got to do that with the times. And I think that's the genre telling them to instigate those merits and not Toby mm-hmm. Hooper. So I might answer Randy's question where I think, I think Toby Hooper probably is. I uh, would have always been best of making very low budget films, but understood that because he made a masterpiece and there were people willing to sort of um, take that and, and, and break it down and, and build it back up to what they wanted it to be. Uh, he sort of lost uh, that ability to be, to correct craft things and then realize, well, hang on a second, I've got loads of stuff I want to do. Uh, let's go build it. That's why you get life force. That's where you get those films. Like you get a man who, who who is given money because he made something and then tries to craft something out of, of thin air because his, his mind's full of ideas. It's very dangerous just to give money to anybody. And I think in, in a very much more A24, not to bring that up, with a, with a balance of $5 million, go make something. I think Toby Hoopy would have prospered. But I think that here... I think there's definitely a decision where I'm not going to let anyone else kill my baby so I'll do what I want with it. And there's appreciation there because he can then sit down and say um, you know know, the late great Tobey Hooper I made the sequel, it's mine and not have the issue where William Friedkin didn't make The Exorcist 2 and let someone else make a mockery of it and then let someone take his child and ruin it. So there's Mm -hmm. there's definitely a maturity then depending on what type of person you are, if you want to leave that be you're able to but if you want to if you have a, a bit more attached to it, which I imagine Toby Hooper was because it was such a phenomenal um, cultural phenomenal. You would want to sort of see where you can go with it, but it, but again, it's a very difficult thing because you are doomed if you do and you're doomed if you don't. So I, I do I do sort of envy. I don't envy Toby Hooper with this, but mm-hmm. I do think that the opening crawl is a film in itself, and that's probably <laughs> the film where it should have been. But you know, it yeah. it, it it's an interesting take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: I I agree with what you're saying, Jack. The thing that I would add to that is I think that Hooper is on the record as saying what he wanted to do with the second one. He wanted to explore uh, dark comedy, black, black, black Mm -hmm. humor, because he felt that that was something that was in the original and it is, but he felt that that didn't get enough attention or coverage
0: it. yeah yeah I, i'm, very I'm few probably people taking saw that, my so... seriously
1: <laughs> i'm probably i'm probably one of those people though i don't i don't i don't see a uh, midsummer or hereditary or or Texas Chainsaw massacre these films where they're meant to be a little bit of, of a comedic nature to it i never saw midsummer as being something that was comedic i thought it was incredibly dark and i never thought the first one was ever so comedic granted i think you can watch it like the exorcist now out, out of context and be like aha these practical effects are shit or well, I don't ever see it. like I
0: don't that. Think, but in seventy in the uh, universe of nineteen seventy four, I think he wanted it to be a bit more satirical, right? But I don't. I, I've well, never
1: seen it as such
3: ever. I I think that there's just moments in there, like for example, the the grandfather trying to club the uh, Sally over the head. Like these, there's just a few moments in there that Hooper was intentionally, you know, making something very, you know. Blackly comic and like yeah, really less this, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> just, so anyway, he see what and, he did to that door, <laughs>
3: yes, there's <laughs> another one, and well, Jim Sierra's whole performance, in a way. Um, so I, I, th- and I think he's on the record as saying that with this one that he wanted to explore the comedy, and and I guess that sort of makes sense because of what we're seeing in the 80s, too. You know, surface in these other types of movies, but uh, I think that's the big thing that tethers back to the original. Um, you know, other than sort of the the framework of the world and the the story and and Jim Cordero's character, um, is you know this this idea like from Hooper that he wants to see what this would look like if it were a little bit more Gonzo and if he were a little bit more uh, you know forthright with the comedy and and really sort of go down that route. Um, and it probably made sense to, you know, people who were funding it in the original meetings. I know that there were uh, some, in- you know, there were some instances of conflict over it, but, you know, on the surface, if, if uh, Hooper said, yeah, okay, no, we'll we'll do this. We'll basically do it the same as the original, only we'll go a little bit more down these avenues for black comedy. You know, I, I think that he's got support
1: for that. mm. Mm-hmm. I mean i mean look look at the front cover it's like a parody of the breakfast club as well
0: yeah i mean on per- on on purpose right like that, that's yep. one of the sort of selling points of the sort of i n d b trivia now and then i on the on the kind of point i will say uh i you know it's i mean there there's a few things i wanted to kind of to, to kind of say to kind of in relation to this but there's there's one thing that just keeps kind of coming back to my head is it i find it fascinating on some level, like how this relates to the, to the original, because it almost feels like he like could actually go through the sort of horror franchises, the, the more iconic ones, and basically imagine that the first one doesn't exist. Like the first one is oh. not a part of any franchise. It's just, there's there's Halloween and there's just this film that just sits there. And the actual franchise starts with the second one because the, se- the first one doesn't connect into whole shit, right? Say same I mean maybe maybe the may, maybe Nightmare on Elm Street connects, but they're all kind of like they have their own sort of character. Like the first Child's Play is essentially like a uh, like an, like an Alfred Hitchcock sort of film almost but it's just like weirdly enough it doesn't commit to any gore to any violence it's all about the suspense and then and and that's sort of gaslighting you into thinking like is this doll even alive i know it's alive because i've seen the guy do the Dumbler <laughs> thingy right yeah. but then but but they're trying to keep telling me that this is the kid that's doing it right even though I've seen the point of view of the killer, like there's this this, this, thing, this thing coming coming alive and then just killing the babysitter. So like the same goes for like Halloween. It's all of a sudden like this 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 thing that's just about the sort of horrors in, in the suburbia or uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Same, similar situation. Like it's all like there's this sort of quasi documentary happening. Then then you just think you could imagine that this could happen to you, and all of a sudden this thing comes out, and then it's it's completely different, right? And it's it's violent as when when the other one wasn't. It's colorful. The other one was washed out, and it's it's stagey and very sort of polished. And then and also comes out of nowhere. If you think about what Toby Hooper did beforehand, like Poltergeists wouldn't suggest that this thing would happen, right? like Mm -hmm. invaders from mars doesn't suggest that this thing this is the next thing that he has lined up like this is completely out of the left field for that that,
1: that, that's that was my point before i I found it staggering to find that out i I couldn't believe it it felt like a very different director on this on this film Mm -hmm. in in tyler but i think it, it preludes to the issue where i don't know if you're going to get to about the poltergeist theory that maybe spielberg had perhaps a bigger hand in that film than and purported uh, <coughs> we, 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 we touched, touched on this a little there, bit yeah. on the
0: uh, <clears throat> on the Patreon episode so uh, here's a freebie for you right um there i think that there are some genuine concerns that this may have happened that he w- had a lot to say but i think i don't this is something i mentioned on that show that there's this podcast called i was there too i mean i think they're no longer working but there was this guy called matt gorley who lives in like la or wherever and then the whole gimmick of the show was that he would get people who are extras on iconic films. Like he had a face peeling guy from Poltergeist. And he just interviewed oh, wow. him. Yeah, and he, yeah. So, and then he asked him, it's like, so did Toby Hooper direct it or, or did Steven Spielberg direct it? And he was like, no, Toby Hooper was directing it. Like Steven Spielberg was there. He was on set. He was involved. But Toby Hooper was, was calling the shots. Like he, he, he was in the director's chair. He was doing what's happening. He was in charge. Right. So. Do, but do you equally think that, we're talking about this, that he's probably just one of those guys that he, when, when Steven Spielberg would, would say something like, I like this, he would say, sure, let's do this your way. Like, yeah, that was going to yeah. be my point. Yeah. It feels like there's,
1: it's a very strong producer on board that, that mm-hmm. sets sets the track and and, and I mean, It's kind
0: of hard. It's kind of hard not to agree with Spielberg when you're like on the set <laughs> of Poltergeist, <laughs> yeah, right? This is a guy yeah. who just did you the Jaws, did Close Encounters. He did Indiana Jones just a, just a few seconds before. He was the guy, right?
3: And he was doing E. T. at the same time. He was on the doing Side of Town. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so so like if Spielberg tells you, <laughs> yeah. This is going to cook. This is going to sell. And and you're like no one's going to go and say like no, I'm going to do it my way, Steve. I'm mean, <laughs> what you talking about? <laughs> <that>? <laughs> yeah.
3: But I, I think we see that in in his other films too. Like there's something with the the bigger budget like you know, and it doesn't have to be a huge budget, but like a a bigger budget just doesn't seem to help uh Hooper's you know, storytelling voice. In in my opinion, I think you. I, I agree, Randa. Said it. Completely said it exactly, Jack. Like you. Yeah. You just said that. I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, like you're saying, like something like the Bloomhouse model of, you know, give this man an eight million dollar budget to do a horror, he would probably thrive in this type of environment, right? He might, he'd probably find his voice or find an area of a field of stories that that yeah. interest in here. Here, he's got scripts in the eighties and the nineties crossing his desk and oh, okay, I'll do that, you know? And I was, I guess my hope was with Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two that there might've been more of him in here. I still think there's a lot of influence. I don't think he had final cut on it. Um, and, but I just, you know, if that's, if that's what we get, the black comedy, like what I see as Hooper's influence and where he really works is he can take a scene and he can really make it unnerving with what he's doing with what he shows us like lingering on something sort of ugly or something disturbing looking really impacting me with whatever he's using for score or or sound effects at the time and he can really get under my skin and that's all of texas chainsaw massacre the original he, he does that at times here um but when he amplifies certain things like having people talk over one another in here he's doing it for comedy He's got annoying characters just being annoying, talking over one another, and there's supposed to be a comedic element, but some of that wears sort of thin. So it's it's unsettling. He's got that, like, take the dinner scene, for, for example. He's He's got an unsettling vibe there, but a lot of it is sort of annoying because it's somewhat played for comedy as opposed to a legitimate uh, curiosity and concern about what the hell is going on, which you get in the original here, you know, more or less what's going on, you feel safe in your surroundings. um, And this unsettling feeling is more annoyance.
0: I mean, Hmm. I think the difference would be that possibly this is something that he did on accident, right? That in the original, he didn't quite know that he was making something that actually is taking itself quite seriously. Like, right? Like, he says, like, why are you not laughing? Right? It's just well, because like, in the way that the 16 millimeter grit on this, and then the fact that there's no music, there are these just weird sounds everywhere, and there's people, these people <laughs> talking over each other. Like, he finds it funny, but I'm just horrified the whole time because I'm with these people. I'm with this woman. I'm in her skin, right? And then he doesn't realize that he's doing it to me, and I think that's part of the genius of the movie. And here he's actually trying to go and it's like, no, no, you, you, like, he's, he's not trying her. Uh, he doesn't give me the opportunity to actually get into this woman's skin, right? Because I'm in a movie. Like right? everything's glitzy, everything's neon, jazzy. Every, the music's there. The, the sweeping cinematography is there. Someone's wearing a steady camera. rig. I can feel there's there's a, there's an artifice between me and the film. There's there's a lever of form that I have to jump over, right? So there's completely no, agree. I can't, yeah. yeah, I can't immerse myself in the film the way I did in, in the original. Which I suppose, okay, fine, i, can't, I w- I'm watching a horror film, so it's it still kind of just manages to get under my skin anyway, just by way of really gruesome imagery, but it, it doesn't have the same effect, yeah
1: oh, I completely I agree, agree, yeah,
0: there's an artificialness to it,
1: yeah if you're if you're seeing the form and the aesthetic before the actual feeling emotion you're you're in for a very difficult trip. And it's it's a thing that I think sometimes filmmakers who are given let's say an, an alleyway of have uh, a little bit more of a of a budget tend to over- overcompensate it and a great director who we spoke about this beforehand who nailed both of them was Kubrick and Jordan Peel's doing the same where he's giving an emotion but he's giving that in a really good blend with the budget and I don't think Toby Hooper sort of has any sort of emotion within his films I think he has he has he plays well with horror but w- when you watch takes a chance of massacre it stays with you because of the iconography not necessarily because of the actual um feeling and and and, and um, resentment you have for those those characters whereas here i think he probably realizes that and then goes more so for the iconography, but mm-hmm. he does it with this with with a not necessarily with like a stylish form but but more so Knowing that he's got a camera that he can do this with, that he that he can he can he can do a car chase sequence, cetera, With the first film, he has a bigger budget. And I think it definitely shines through that perhaps, I think maybe it's 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 also an issue that happened with Poltergeist. Realized that hang on a second, like uh, we made a film that was frightening in a house. Like we can we can do this. Let's go and let's push the barriers. Um, but again, I think that relates back to having a really good backbone of Spielberg. And I think canon... Notorious for throwing these things out and being like, little as money as possible, let's earn a fucking fortune. And and, and it's a, it's a shame because it's it feels like granted it feels like Hooper has, has tried to sort of evolve in his craft here, again after the uh, the the Poltergeist um, feature, but I think that the the surroundings that he was in on this film with canon didn't necessarily provide him with the expertise that would have being the next evolution for him rather than it was just like, you know, just, just leave him to his own devices. And I think sometimes these filmmakers there, there is sometimes there is a producer in the back who is calling the shots and they're doing it because they understand, uh, the, the flow of cinema, you know? And, and, uh, here, there just isn't
0: one. There do you really guys isn't. think that the uh, on and Global Square had, had any sort of input on this? Like, did they, did they just offer any suggestions or do you guys think?
3: no i i don't have any sense of right. what what they're yeah what they're involvement it, it, of. So I'd like i no i i just know that um well i'm fairly certain that hooper doesn't have the final cut and it seems to me that there was an early the early days of this hooper wanted to be involved and help develop the script but not write it i think and i think kim henkel was originally involved and they came up with a number of concepts oh, and... they hired
0: a different guy after a, after a while right No, hold on the fir- The first concept for a sequel that dates back to like the 70s they wanted to do like a film about this whole like town full of cannibals right yes right be- yes. beyond
3: the beyond the valley of
1: the texas chainsaw massacre or something maybe.
0: yeah which is which yeah.
3: would
1: be a satire in its own right as well so right. there's and definitely I... sort of there's a bloodline there
3: yeah i think this sort of comes from that but Um, I think these producers said no we're not interested in going you know that that silly and then I I think then Hinkle was completely removed like ages ago and then however this existed they brought in this uh, Carson I think is it LM kit Carson Uh, yeah just yeah just
0: just a point of note because this may be interesting to you guys do you know what he this guy this guy (laughs) this guy wrote before Paris Uh Texas (laughs) Yes. Uh, the Wim Wenders I, film. And uh 1983 remake of of Godard's Breathless. And so, he he helped bring the, the world. The American Dreamer.
3: He helped bring the world uh, Wes Anderson. He co-produced the Bottle Rocket, the short or the original short, and also the
0: yeah. the first so, features. So <laughs> he's been around this guy. So this guy goes like he's he's writing for Vim Wenders this sort of this brooding tale about this <laughs> on this dude, and then it's just yeah, let's just. Well, I'm done with this. Uh, so, what do I write next? I know. Yeah. Let's work just, with Toby Hooper for a second. Just, I just wrote a film. <laughs> just wrote a Palm Door winner. Where to now? <laughs> no, you gotta you know widen your horizons and shit. <laughs> this um this film does have like it has a
1: mandate of um of a running time though. Like the it wasn't allowed to be over an hour and forty five minutes. I think that yeah, that's that's, that's, the that's
0: sequences what... yeah yeah that's what randy was uh, you were alluding to with this sort of not having a final cut right because he had yeah. to remove like half hour of stuff and then he's it, still re- like removing half hour of completely superfluous crap he was still left so much in <laughs> yeah there's still <laughs> there's still
3: fat in here to trim yeah, yeah. I, I think Definitely. the idea though here is to really latch on to the type of thing that's happening in the 80s like gremlins and like what sam raimi's doing to really Merry comedy and ghoulishness. And I think they just embrace that. But I think for me, that's just, it's really hard to stick that landing, like I said before. And I think that 12 years out from the original, uh, I think there was an element that this really flummoxed people who had a certain set of expectations because, oh, well, the original was, was this, and it was serious, and it was gritty, and it was very you know, personal and intimate. And then this in those ways is is totally the opposite. So I, I think that choice, it's a bold choice and that's fine, I guess. And that's why I have some appreciation for this because it is a little bit different and it's going its own way. Like, but I think you're in territory where, you know, comedy, you know, different types of comedy work for different types of people. And, you know, for me, I'm not here for this. This doesn't really work for me, this rambunctiousness and, you know, surly and, you know, gruesome horror doesn't really tickle my funny bone. So I think there's that element. And I think that it's also a bit of a betrayal for anyone who was a big fan of the original. So expectations are are thrown off. Like we were talking um, before the recording about some people are were thrown off by Nope. And, it's, and Jacob, you said, well, maybe people have their blinders on and their expectations are a certain way. I think that might've happened here too. So I can appreciate people that- mm watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and think it's an utter disaster. I don't think it's an utter disaster. I think it's just it's a bold, weird choice. Mm-hmm. Doesn't totally work for me, but I don't think it's, that's quite fair because, you know, there's still some good work that's making its way to the screen.
0: There's one thing I kind of, I would say that this thing kind of does is, like, the original does not really come I mean, we talked about this, right? <whistles> well, oh, hello, <whistles> Mr. Doggy. <whistles> <laughs>
1: It he just You <laughs> can, can see him talking.
0: That... <laughs> I was gonna say, is that Keanu?
1: <laughs> Keanu, shh, be quiet. I'm talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Daddy's talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, what, what I, do I do apologize. Tra- That's all right. Well, what I was trying to say is the uh, the original in the original, like, there's only what two people or one person dies by the chainsaw. Probably two, right? Because there's there's more people dying by a hammer in there and then or like <laughs> yeah. by hook, hook or crook right um but then in here it, it kind of looks like someone looked at it like with a sort of studio eye and say and said like how do we turn this into a series like i think you said in the beginning it's like this has to be a franchise so they look like what makes it a franchise of course the title the chainsaw like we have to really just lean into the chainsaw right so the mm-hmm. chainsaw is like this like it feels like i'm watching uh like mandy (laughs) sort of like this (laughs) chainsaw that's just like three and a half mile long right (laughs) it's just and then dennis hopper has double chainsaws you know like (laughs) twins yeah yeah, yeah, there there are these uh, but then uh, essentially they just look at this film the the original and they say like how can we market this what can Mm -hmm. we take out of this and turn into some kind of icons and then they say this is gonna make an appearance. Like they, they coined this phrase, Leatherface, in here, right? Because I don't think this fir- in the first one they used this, this phrase at all, right? No, and they
1: repeatedly do this as well. They repeatedly drop this.
0: Yeah, the chop top mm-hmm. guy. It just refers to his brother as, like, ah, Leatherface, come here, do it now, Man. It's just, so they, they refer to themselves uh, through their nicknames. They're almost like they're super villains. Like this is, they, <laughs> they look like they're in a Joel Schumacher Batman film. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I never thought you'd get that to, to yeah. that point today, but yeah, I think you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not way off there. I don't think. Yeah, again, no. Like, I there's think... th- there's, um, there's some great practical effects there as well. Like, there's definitely a, an idea of like, you know, we we can take this iconography and we can play around with it. You know, a face is is taken off someone and put onto someone else. They do definitely push the barrier there, which again they, they do Even in they terms do... of
0: good taste or.
1: Oh no, not not, not in good taste. I'm, oh, I'm, go I mean, in the, yeah, in the power in the power of that. Like, there's definitely uh, someone, whether that's Toby Hooper, whether that's someone like behind the scenes at Canon, um, giving back to those those fans who, who wanted to see a little bit more of those those small uh, moments of character. But there are always just small moments of character. You, can, you can't evolve them mm-hmm. to be anything different. You can't evolve that, that that mask to be the same as Michael Myers or, or not even the uh, the Chainsaw itself. Like, there's limitations there constantly. So they're always trying to battle against the positives that work for the film. Um, but it, again, that's why I, I just go back to the, the point where you made before where there's always the original and the sequels that, that grow off in these roots, but they, they, they constantly, like... Um, Negate themselves all the time. It's because there's no evolution. There's just nothing you can do. That this family always get killed at the end, or or all all murdered towards the end. Like mm. there's just nothing you can go with it. So it's like a one and a one and dump thing. And, I mean, there's a really
0: stressed limitation, though. It's what you just said. When you think about, it, like, there's only so much you can do with the image of a chainsaw, or 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 there's only so much you can do with the fact that the guy is wearing someone else's face, right? Yeah, Um, like it's not necessarily it doesn't it doesn't have the sort of same iconic sort of pull as like the Michael Myers mask or the Jason Voorhees mask, right? Like Jason Voorhees becomes a character almost just incidentally, and and he still well becomes the iconic face of the franchise, right? Yeah. Um, is, it, but, yeah but that,
1: that franchise had to evolve into the hockey mask as yeah,
0: well so, but, the, so yeah. there's definitely there's definitely
1: room for that to happen here or could have happened
0: yeah but it kind of looks like there is there isn't much in there to be mined therefore there isn't a franchise to be built so therefore every single sequel that they concoct only recir- recir- recircles back to the original because there is literally nothing to build on
1: no I completely agree and and you know yeah. the, the the things that they do find here to build on is uh, the, the the sort of exquisite chili sequence which really does have major ramifications that could have been With explored the art yeah. yeah i mean i mean like, like when she found, <laughs> finds a tooth and he says oh that's just some uh, it's like you know like some gristle and stuff like yeah, Oof. peppercorn. Like, there's, there's a, there's. It's played for more, more so for um, a comedic nature, which is quite fun. Considering, but did like, you guys laugh at
0: this? At any of this, by the way?
1: I, 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 wouldn't say I laughed. It's not like a comedic like ah, but there is like a ooh like you, you do sort of like there is a horrible repercussion you feel. All right, because I was kind because, of just straight
0: up grossed out.
1: <laughs> no, like it's, it's suspenseful in, in in a sort of um, um, different way. Like it's a reversal of suspense, like. We all know what it is, in an, but but they don't. I suppose it works in that 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 type of tone, but and definitely a thematic. But I would have wished that to be explored more. And again, that's what we spoke about before about the the, the film that this was going to be the uh, Valley of the, the Beyond the Valley of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It feels like that sort of nature to to build um, uh, a world here, not necessarily for a franchise, but just build a world where we can build uh, a foundation upon. Um, was here in clumps but it's always just used mostly for a, a comedic one two a setup and then a then a then a but not not necessarily in a comedic sense but m- probably for a gross out maybe for a horror for for a black comedy but th- those are the elements where there's a foundation to be built there that's the house mm, you just yeah. don't seem to sort of want to gravitate towards that
3: yeah not effectively at least like i and to answer your question. I, I sort of smirked and chuckled, maybe a little bit at that business. Said, I like Jim Seedau. I liked him in the original. I thought he was quite funny in the original. Mm-hmm. And he's
0: the only recurring uh, cast member, by the way.
3: Yes, although the LG character, he was a crew member on the original.
0: Oh right, yeah. Although he, he's so gonna make an appearance. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. So you know, to me, this this type of comedy doesn't work really and it makes me mm. sort of want to go back and see evil dead 2 because i think that's an example of it totally working just with the horror and the comedy in just perfect sync that's um, a but- shout
0: that's a shout because the first one I've, I've always taken the first one like completely 100 percent seriously like this is the cabin in the woods Yep. sort of going absolutely nightmarishly wrong right and then the second one was already kind of like well we're we're still ghoulish but you know
3: yeah but there's there's fun to be had yeah you know and maybe there's a bit of a, a modeling in there that toby hooper is saying you know i really like what this youngster sam Raimi is doing like that's sort of cool i'll do that here um but it is a thing in the 80s too
0: like this, well, this comedy too horror came out thing. after this by the way
3: Oh, shoot. I thought it was just before. In 1987.
0: Okay. So, yeah, because Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 came out in 1986. Yeah, again, I <laughs> yep. failed to mention, right? Because I'm an idiot. Because I'm a... i am I mean, I'm going to put Dead it 2? on the fact that I'm down with the sickness. So, <laughs> you know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Evil Dead 2, is that 88? When is that?
0: Oh, 87. 87 so because the first one was like 81 82 81 80. yes
1: 80 okay <clears throat> i mean yeah. what 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 like um toby Hooper do here which i think on paper works but well sorry in in this when you're watching the film it works but on paper it's incredibly unwritten is that they try to sort of then use if we can't build upon the franchise itself let's bring people into this and this is where Dennis hopper comes in which for me, like watching it for the first time, it's like I always quite like Dennis Hopper as so well. You're always going to get something uh, beyond crazy. And uh, it doesn't disappoint here. It's like what you mentioned before about Nicolas Cage, like Wayne Mande, like he's the performer for that film. Um, it, I just wish that Dennis Hopper would have been given uh, a greater emphasis on a screenplay because for the first time I watched this, I had no idea who he was. And it took me ages to realize until even when we found the, uh, the, the, the body in the wheelchair. But that's franklin which again is like why would they take why would they take that body from like the house and then put him in the figure like, like just bones like, like it's uh, the logistics again, of this
0: it's... traveling through texas with <laughs> all this shit
1: <laughs> every time they set up shop in a, in a new
3: abandoned theme park they got to bring to oh, franklin's corpse yeah they've got to bring the, the, the bones and, and all they, yeah like they have
0: the the other bones the, uh, the, the 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 guy they have the corpse they yeah, have the in hitchhiker. the beginning that's the, yeah, hitchhiker, the hitchhiker and yeah. they call him nubbins yeah, <laughs> Hey, Nubbins.
1: Get, get Nubbins but here. um, but yeah, I just think that they've, they've they they bring a little bit of star power. Granted, it's going to get a lot more bums on seats, and and knowing Dennis Hopper's background, you're going to bring a, a different type of clientele who perhaps want to watch. Like, this. We're going
0: to bring drunks on set.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I'm not. I'm, no comment. But um, let, let's be honest. I think we all know what was happening there. Um, but there's definitely. This there's explains definitely,
0: a lot if you think about it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> definitely. But um. I do. Yeah. I do feel like there's a an attempt to uh, uh, modernize and to bring an, an A-lister in, or what what we would we consider someone with a with a with a star power in his own right. But it's just so underwritten. there. like, it's only the second time I realize that he's Franklin and and what do you call it, uh, Uncle which, Sally. D- Sally. Yeah, and then it's then Sally, you find Sally. out like then he's yeah. then he's an ex yes yeah, Sally then he's an ex state trooper a police officer. But that isn't. Um, rounded out very well the screenplay is incredibly underwritten on these I mean, characters he has a
0: costume right
1: but he <laughs> yeah. does it but again an iconography this film is all that it's just iconography yeah. no, one, no one says visuals it's like, yeah. forward
0: here's the uh, us marshal coming in it's just like oh he's looked looks like a texas ranger right
1: yeah but just it's, it's just there's just no substance to to mm-hmm. what is essential on screen and it's such a major disappointment because if you would bump this up to to 2 hours or and get those 20 minutes in of just more character death. For like example when when, when um, he denies uh, the radio presenter uh he doesn't want to listen to the uh, the cassette like he's got two black eyes in the uh, in the motel room he looks disheveled to shit looks like he's been fighting a um uh, a boxing match with himself uh, in the dark like he's just fucked up but the the film never gives us any sort of idea or precedent of what's happening there's no context to anything, and it's just stitched together, which again is a is a major issue for the film itself. Which, I mean, you spoke of Yaku beforehand about there's three sequences here stretched out to to almost uh, an hour and forty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just nothing to give that actor, and I can understand why he hates this film or hated this film. Much like Super Mario's uh, brothers, he just isn't given any sort of material to expand on. And granted, there's that emotional connection we have to the original. Uh, we've, we've seen Franklin. it just isn't as strong as it could be. There's a lot here that's under underwhelming, um, but it's all understated due to the under uh, sorry the screenplay which is incredibly underwritten uh, to a point where I think it does the film a massive injustice because there is that emphasis on maybe necessarily like if it was written to a, to a higher degree of having a twist there that we don't know who this character is as a third party, we get to the third act, we find out that there's an emotional connection there. It gives a sort of uh, new context to proceedings. It crafts more atmosphere immersion. It's sort of alluded to when she's she drives to follow Leatherface and um, and the, the family member, and he's there behind and using her as bait, which was appalling. Like they were going to kill her. Like what the? It's what for someone who seems to be emotionally involved in these people not carrying out their their crimes, that seemed like an appalling decision to make. Uh, but again, it just goes back to the poor screenplay. But he Hopper does bring less like over, a it, by the
0: way, right?
1: Yeah, but 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, he does. Yeah, um, it just feels uh, incredibly underwritten, and it's a shame because uh, he's a fantastic actor who still brings his A game. Like he doesn't, he doesn't uh, yeah. set his standards down at all. He's he's there, he's screaming and shouting. Like, he he brings a prowess to that character. It's just a shame that that the character didn't bring anything for him,
0: unfortunately. I just wanted to quite quickly say right, on on Dennis Hopper, like we kind of need to dig into this because I think this is kind of where the film uh, was supposed to shine and kind of undoes itself a little bit. This is kind of like this sort of, I don't want to say a sticking point for me, but it kind of is. Like the film opens with this big sort of, let's just call it the dual section, right? Where these two mm-hmm. yobos are driving down the road, shooting at what, road signs, or as you do, yeah, right? yeah, um, Texas, <laughs> and then they just and they. <laughs> And they force a, a pickup truck off the road. And then they, it turns out this is the pickup truck where Chop Top and Leatherface are in because this is just how they roll, right? Uh, so they attract their attention. They ev- eventually die. And then there's sort of big death sort of scene, like this car crash, whatever. And then all of a sudden, like, you get introduced to Dennis Hopper. Like he mm-hmm. just comes out of a car and all, like oh, he's a guy that people know are about. He has this reputation and he knows what he's looking at as well. So it's like, oh, he's going to be the main character. And then he disappears. <laughs> and then you're just, and then we're just stuck with low-rent Jamie Lee squirters, or squirters right? Curtis. Squirtus. <laughs> 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 the Jamie Lee Curtis Sorry. that go Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So. <laughs> I've never. That is classic, <laughs> Jamie Lee <word. laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, so. that's going to be going to the dictionary. Wow. <laughs> so. classic
0: with Jamie Jamie Lee Curtis. Like you, you're just, you're just kind of just there with, with, in the Radio Shack or wherever she is with the guy who spits in doors like a fucking savage, and then, and then, and then. Dennis Hopper comes back again for a second and then he disappears again. And then you see him like he just go full on commando. He goes to like a warehouse and he just goes to a section with chainsaws and there's he buys these chainsaws, he fashions I mean he like, like he's like he's Arnold Schwarzenegger in commando, right? And then he disappears yeah. again. And then at the yeah. same time like he <laughs> The whole climax of the film should be Dennis. Like, you paid for Dennis Hopper, just show me Dennis Hopper fighting these people. No, he, like, there's this grenade going off on, off screen as Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> for from Wish, is running away screaming <laughs> uh, up Hola. a ladder uh, on, onto a mountaintop where, where I suppose Norman Bates' mum lives. Uh, <laughs> Or something. It's just weird because this Dennis Hopper just comes in and out of consciousness, almost like like every now and again. It's wh- whoever was writing the script together with Toby Hooper, like, oh yeah, we got Dennis Hopper in here. Like, can we just write him a line or something?
1: I have um I have two theories about this. The first one is probably the factual element is that I think this film sets itself as a grindhouse feature where there is no money and there's a budget to get an A-list star, so they get him as a blood cameo. It's 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 well done in uh, Planet Terror. Robert Rodriguez showcases it with Bruce Willis. He's in it for like thirty seconds, but he's in it at the end and then he dies. But It's just, it's just to get bums on seats. Groundhouse. That's that's the tone of the genre. The real the the actuality is probably is is that, but also that I think someone went missing on set. I think that someone maybe have uh, down in Texas uh, where the uh, the the devil's lettuce grows strong and the beer flows uh, like a river. Someone probably high, and they
0: couldn't get anything out of him. I mean, look at look look at the bunch of
1: unshot pages from the script. Yeah, look. I think look at the behind the scenes of Apocalypse Now. I think that the precedent that man, like how that man can can formally have a conversation um, on whatever sort of medical drugs he's on. I've seen the documentary he directed.
0: He was—he directed this documentary about this sort of the culture of these sort of like the easy rider, and then he like he just smokes smokes um, Mary Jane on set, and then he takes acid, and then he actually has unsimulated sex with three women on camera.
1: I mean that wouldn't <laughs> surprise anybody knowing that it's yeah. Hopper. I mean, <laughs> it's
0: just you know. But but,
1: but I, yeah, I I think that it's a combination of the two. I think someone gets to set and realizes, "Fuck, I'm getting paid here," and then. Uh, you know attends as much as they can do but then it's just got no passion for the screenplay it's a, it's a, again it goes back to the point I meant it's just a shame because there's definitely a prowess that character brings and the, again it's it's all visual stimulation because you you, you get like you said he you get even in um, subtext and context so like he, the character itself dressed like a cowboy all pristine clean walks up to the um to to the actual crash site touches something that we like it's all a visual aid and that, it's interesting, like, I wonder if that's a Toby I Hooper mechanism. Catches. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's wonder if it's a Tobey Hooper mechani- mechanism or it's a um, budget uh, limitation. But everything is a visual stimulation here. Um, and again, it can only go so far because you're, you're right. Our, our main character keeps on... It's not why' I was main character. He keeps on ducking here, there and out, either write him as a third party or don't have him at all because i know you were joking about the Jamie Lee Curtis ripoff, but i think that for for a screen she looks queen,
0: like her too <laughs> no she does she does yeah. but
1: again like we're, we're talking about like it, this is a film that's following standards not setting them as as randy said it's a horror film that's yeah. most definitely incorporating the 80s vibe to it and i think it looks it, it, i think for, for the for what she does here she is demoted to being someone who
0: uses a voice as screaming, she's a radio DJ like the uh, Jamie Curtis in the Fog.
1: Yeah, which I was going to bring up the Fog. Yeah, but I do, I do think that she, she does a. I think, I think what she's used for, she is just demoted to be a scream queen, which is very adequate at, at, towards it. And also, uh, as an actress, she, she has some very um, strange moments to balance of tone. When we have this like really brazen and horrifying attack at the radio studio, it begins this like really violent. Um, prelude to everything and then it turns to a more of a sexual nature and as an actress she has to sort of delve with all those different types of tones and balance them and I think she does an adequate job granted she isn't given anything to use and she's only utilised as a scream queen but for for the most part I think she was one of the best parts of the film probably because she hadn't much to sort of showcase in the fact that where it could go wrong she was given a, a track and she followed it but I think that she does an adequate job, nonetheless. Yeah, but like when it gets too. to those sexual undertones, I think that you, the film, you know, either I think there's a many people who leave the film at that point emotionally and 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 connectively. Like I just think it just it goes down a route there where I'm like, ah, oh, okay, we're gonna go for the phallic imagery and uh, objections, but I'm like, ah, oh, just okay. I don't know. I, I that to me was I, like the strangest part. Yeah, it
3: is strange. I I think that that's part of hooper thinking this is funny (laughs) like i think that goes to the comedy you know let's take Leatherface and let's get him a girlfriend let's let's make him really horny for carolyn yeah for a
1: stretch
0: this is his bride of chucky is what it is yeah
1: yeah (laughs) that's that's that's, yeah that's weird is it just me there's a sort of an implication that he, he blows his load as well not to bring the mood down where like he He's like, Jesus, yeah,
0: like... like waiter, uh, <laughs> you know, like... Well, oh, yeah, yeah James, no, we that's what I just didn't do it, didn't know. It. Lowbrow jacks <laughs> back like, like in, the he's in the house. Ice, he's in the
1: ice bath, like, that's... quite literally an ice bath as well. And he's, like, with his mm-hmm. chainsaw, and then he lifts it up, and he goes, ugh, and he screams. As well. I think that's, like, oh. an indication that he... Yeah, I, mean, I think so, too. Oh. That's what I thought. And I think that's... I that, didn't, again, I didn't Randy, notice. Because this is all he does.
0: He just goes, like, ugh.
1: Well, it was like he was in the room, then. Yeah.
0: <laughs> i mean for for me uh the more sort of disgusting sort of situation was um what i suppose this whole film kind of eventually just decides to remake the original a little bit like from the moment that when they actually grab her into the in, like well she sneaks herself into uh. the into this room and she and then Leatherface <laughs> finds her and he goes like Put on this face, like, I'm, they're not going to find you here. This was a moment where I'm just thinking to myself, Jesus, like, this is, fuck me. This is, uh, this is something.
1: Can I ask you a question, Jachim? So, do, you know, do you know earlier you said that you didn't find the chili sequence funny, you thought it was more disgusting. Did you find the sexual undertone aspect of it in any way appealing and in, in comedic, or did you find that turn off as well?
0: It was, uh, you know, it, I wasn't like, ah, look at this chainsaw <laughs> yeah. being a penis. Yeah. You know, no, no, I was just thinking to myself. At this point, I was kind of like it, already at this point, I I was kind of almost at a sort of the past the sort of the Rob Zombie point of no return. Like right. in any Rob Zombie film, there is a moment after which I do not give a shit. As in, like, there I'm so desensitized because there's the volume of everything is too much and then and they go for this like that everyone's screaming there's music blaring <laughs> there's just gong going like beep. everything's colorful and then he goes like burr, burr, and then chopped up goes like just like licks his little hanger and whatever and oh, at this point i'm God. like i don't care yeah. about any He's, of this th-
1: but again like there, there is like it is it is more like re- re- being repelled from the image itself though it is an is an emotive stance like when he's like on his shiny tin top thing and he's yes. scratching it, like I was like grossed out, and especially where I know I'm going to miss a jump here, but when Gramps is like eating the the meat off it with his tongue and he's licking it, there's definitely a, a being freaked out, and there's a definitely emotional spike yeah. there. But like you, I, I get I get to the point where after we leave um, the Radio Shack. I I do not give a fuck after that point because the film. I, I check out almost yeah. when
0: he goes in this with his chainsaw into this sort of the ice bucket, which yeah. I don't know what it does in there anyway. It's, an, it's actually like, an, an ice that's bath. The we- it literally
1: is an ice bath. Is, it's yeah. a fucking bath. Yeah, it's a Dr. Malen doing it and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it's just he goes. <laughs> <Yeah. and laughs> I'm like just, mm. it's just it's just at, this, a at this point, I'm just like sexual
1: repression. Jakob, yeah, come on. <laughs> Why is this? What is, I mean, where has yeah. gems gone? I thought we were talking about the sexual repression of Leatherface, Come on.
0: I mean, in all fairness, like, I'm not surprised that this man's sexually frustrated. <laughs> just look at him. <laughs> like, at least he doesn't. He's not have... gonna go like he's not gonna go out to a nightclub and and just you know find himself a lady.
1: Well, you know, <laughs> he doesn't have have scissors for hands like someone else did in the '90s. You know, '89. You know, he's gotta be quite glad that he's he's able to use his hands and stuff like that and you know
0: Well But then again he's a little bit, you know what's the polite phrase? Let's move on.
1: Um uh, He's uh you know
0: he's undernourished. He went to school in a short bus, you know? Yeah, he's just he's just undernourished. <laughs> you know, I think the character the that is
3: that that is the the root of this character honestly i think that's what it's based on and that's yeah you know it's not gonna survive too uh too much of a picking at the uh you know the way that it was written um yeah I, I think what's going on here too is that again it's the comedy and then from this awkward sexual stuff in the meat locker or wherever the heck they are then it goes into like this weird gruesome sitcom which is the the dinner scene and Leatherface is bringing a girl to supper. Like that's, that's the joke. I think there's sort of an underpinning joke in a lot of this. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just not, it's not working for me. To yeah, let's, it, yeah it, I
1: think that's what it
0: is. Just, oh, Bubba's like never invited reported. a girl
1: before. Bubba. <laughs> it felt like in a, incredibly repetitive as well. Like it felt like those sequences. Again, I keep on going back to this, but there's three sequences that are just elongated. Fuck. They're I don't. So the the, the long. first one, yeah, the first one's interesting enough because it's different. The <laughs> second one at the Radio Shack, like the uh, it, again, is like it's horrifying in some way. Then nose dives as, as we've just spoke about. But when we get to the, uh, whatever it is, again, (laughs) the underground uh, uh, theme park, I feel like The underground funhouse. Yeah, it takes like 40 minutes. Bespoke, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're getting from like, we don't ever seem to move anywhere uh, figuratively and literally. And even, even thematically, we don't move anywhere. The joke keeps on going on. And then we get to sort of like a really terrifying bit and and again an absolute impeccable piece of uh, practical effects where we see the face off and to me I was like mm-hmm. oh that was a, like the shocking moment that was a, the meat hook moment for me where I'm like oh wow like, we're, we're going to sort of we're going to that... try blend here but but it it's it's under undercut with a comedic edge again a, another comedic edge and then we float see, back I, into I didn't the... get
0: the comedy none of the comedy translated to me i was just ooh because he's skinning the guy, and by the way, this is something that I'm just wanted to kind of point out. Like this is something that maybe the only example I can think of of when the franchise doesn't recircle recir- back to the original, because the new, the Netflix film, oh, has a scene where he takes off the guy's face and he just lifts it against the sun like this. Yeah, yeah. Right. There is this, and then it, it it looks like this is an homage to this. To the second one because he just takes the guy's face off and he just examines it kind of like that against the lights just like did i do a good job you know so it kind of looks like oh is this a is this a moment where this this franchise culturally is not acknowledging anything else but the originals just great i think you're giving the that whole film where to... the guy wakes up and is just like fuck geez, so but
3: again but he, even i that then, they're though, trying to be funny 100%. there do you... yeah i don't know no, it's okay um uh yeah, do you see that they're trying to be funny? Like that's how I see it. And I agree it's not working. But do you see that that's sort of the effort or do you just see this as just sort of I I did not. Okay.
0: I mean, this is me being an idiot, right? No, because no. I was oh, just I was well, just I was well. just, you know, all Rob Zombieed out at this point. Like I yeah, I know some people find stuff like Rob Zombie stuff like very funny. I'm just like, "Oh no. I'm just I'm just trying to survive the night." <laughs> but <laughs> that's but in, all I'm trying.
1: In in the other other the sense of the the, the... The actual like implication. Then, if if you're not finding those comedic, like me, because because I, I found the I found it more uncomfortable more, more than comedic. Should I should say, especially the chili sequence. But that that to watch that guy's face and to see the practical effects, I did get sort of an an emotive response there because it was slightly horrifying. Does it not sort of, if it's not hitting you on the on the on the double turn where you're getting these like comedic nature as well as the uh, the, the horrifying nature to it. Do you not find one of one of the other? Like, or is it because you're not finding both, but you're not finding the horror. You're not finding the comedic nature. So are you finding the horror here or not?
0: I am finding the horror. And I'm also I mean, I'm also there for the craft because I'm al- I've am i already resigned myself to knowing that I'm watching a film like this is not like I'm not watching a documentary about what whatever happened to the to the to, the, to this woman in the Radio Shack, right? right okay, this is. Um, so I know I'm watching a movie so at this point I'm also I'm there for the horror and at the same time I'm like I'm looking at LG going like oh no what happened to me I just, uh, and then she puts the face back on him and I'm just admiring the special effect like I, I'm, I'm watching this sort of like both as I'm being grossed out and then viscerally affected and also I'm I'm sort of in awe of of the craft, of how much they accomplished, have having so little because there's there's this massive set behind them, there's this lighting and everything, and I know it's an artifice, but then again, you know, someone put it together, and I'm, just, yeah, so I'm there for the artifice, I'm there for like the special effects and the horror. So I'm not sure if this is, answers your question.
1: No, no, I, but but does the does the 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 uh, quest for like the practical effects of horror does that substantiate the
0: whole film for you? Then is it enough? Oh no, no, no! Because like, there's the film has like these massive holes where like I'm just like wondering like if if the film worked on all cylinders, I would be like, yeah, I would, I, I could be able to excuse a lot of shit, but I can't because right. I'm just like I, I'm asking if whenever I'm asking myself a question like, what is this woman doing here? Like, that means that means I'm kind of bored. <laughs> no,
1: I get, I get, that, I get that. yeah. I think this yeah. probably uh, to, to sum the not to get to that point already but to sum the film by its parts
0: the the don't one thing like that do, anyway, right.
1: No 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 I know but the the one thing that sums up its parts most definitely for me is is that underlining of practical effects like it's the one thing where um I think it nails it throughout there's not a thing that sort of like underwhelms me especially at the end when we see Gramps uh, with with Bill Mosley's characters ahead um, uh, of the the the, the uh, surgery there uh, and even Love and Face itself, especially with the image of uh, the, the mask being taken off and put onto her. Um it never underwhelms me on that front. But I must admit, like to to come back down to that third act, uh again like Elongates itself, it just runs on forever. And we get to the point where, you know, she hides and she's she's found and she hides. Then all in the background Dennis Hopper's cutting down the beams, but he's screaming and shouting and no one can hear him do it. And then we get. I was just
0: thinking, where is he? Like, yeah, I know Sam. he's doing something. And it's kind of like, what is I, happening? I think this goes
3: to the script, too, because I I felt the exact same thing. So you've got the duration of this uh, dinner scene, which is too long, but Three days, while, yep. while that's going <laughs> yeah. on, you know, Hopper <laughs> is that. the other principal here. What's he doing? And we just see him, you know, cutting down load bearing beams every few minutes. You're cutting to him. gardening
0: cutting... he's doing is what he's doing. <laughs>
3: yeah. So he just you know, just trimming and whatever, but.
1: And I think, I think that's meant to sort of engage us in that suspense again, where we know that ultimately he's going to come in contact with these people. And in the background, we're meant to feel this sort of um, atmospheric tension that uh, inevitably things are going to come crashing down, but it's again, it's so poorly edited. I'd say into the idea of that. These two are connective tissues where it does feel like, like it's a third party again. Um, which when we get to the actual ending itself when when he encounters other first, and we get this incredibly over the top battle and then he 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 does dual wielding um <laughs> uh <laughs> tiny chainsaws. Um there theres isn't I'll do is we out-
0: outdo the original I know yeah.
1: <laughs> two chainsaws. <laughs> <And>
3: I'll, <laughs>
1: I'll have them in holsters. Yeah,
2: exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he <laughs> has a <laughs>
0: holster, like this is like Kill Bill and, and sort of like these uh samurai sword sort of cup holders and <laughs>
1: yeah i mean there is an idea of like that that's comedic nature to me and i i, I can deal with that and also it's like it's uh it does again dennis hopper with jaw wielding things and a good iconography but before long we're even underwhelmed there because anti climate like we see the guy under the table uh who who opens a grenade and then we cut to the to the, the the fucking space mountain and that's what we have in finale and you so, hear this in the distance yeah. like yeah It's just like, yeah. Is this Dennis Hopper
0: dying? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Which
1: I I don't know if the implication there is for a sequel or there's like because we don't horror trope is that if we don't see someone die on screen, uh, often they're not they're not dead. Which uh, I found I found to be quite plausible. But how then it 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 restricts the audience from finding um, a a finality to that to then have this mountaintop sequence where we're involved with an with a a dead body with a chainsaw there as well which has no place or being a context whatsoever to them to having a final battle that runs on far too long for her. Well, then yeah. To... Yeah. supposed to
0: be Sally? No. That dead body, by the way. No, because she escaped. No, no I don't think. She, she became a dead body. They, they
3: called her grandma.
0: Oh, is it, is is it the grandma up. that they just put yeah. in a, on a mountain top?
3: Yeah.
1: yeah, That's
0: space mountain. Like, very
3: strange. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think just at the conceptual level, Someone didn't look at this properly and say, well, "What is our climax? Right? Yes, you know, and if the climax if the 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 big rising action comes to the the chainsaw like that sort of makes sense, you know that's sort of the big set piece in a way that has iconography that you can have fun with and that you can market, and you know it seems like the height of what we're experiencing here, and that just sort of ends like you say off screen with a done that's gone and then you've got chop top this this guy like it should be leatherface following her up let's say if if dennis hopper does meet his untimely end it should be leatherface pursuing her at the top there's just it's just it's just mishandled it's someone needed to say wait a second our elements aren't lined up here correctly
0: (laughs) no it is correctly lined up because if you if you um, if you imagine that they're essentially remaking the original from the dinner scene onwards right then as sally just because they they do everything in the scene like they do the grams with the hammer yeah. and then you know he's trying to do the hammer time and then he can't hold the hammer and then he's just and then she and then and then she eventually just runs away and then in the original there's um the hitchhiker Runs after it, slashing at it with with a with a razor, and then he gets just run over by a truck, right? But so,
3: Leatherface needs to be involved, in my mind.
0: Yeah, so I think they just say, "Well, we can't have a truck because, like, we're on a mountain top, so yeah. you know, like, there's not going to be a run." Although it would have been better if then just randomly like, a truck comes out, like, <laughs> and just he's done, right? A, a roller coaster car. But he kind of stuck. <laughs> so I think you know, like you're logistically stuck with with chop top, right? So they're just like, okay. I suppose we have to have a chainsaw duel with him, but but then eventually they just go into this sort of final scene with her going like, Bruh! being absolutely manic, right? Because that's like that's like almost like a like a funhouse mirror reflection of the original. I kind of see this. kind of like that. This whole like half the film is like looking at the original through a funhouse mirror, where it's just like it's not exactly the same. It doesn't look right, but I suppose I paid five bucks. Yeah, (laughs) But I think if
3: Dennis Hopper's character, and Jack, you were saying this, is developed better, has a stronger background, or there's something that we can connect to, at least Mm -hmm. to be worthwhile riding on his shoulder for a little bit, that we're anticipating his arrival to the dinner scene. You know, oh, there's one person not here. When's he going to get here? Like, if we really care about Dennis Hopper, then Leatherface can kill him and defeat him and then that's great and then leatherface i think leatherface still needs to be part of that ascent up the you know side of space mountain or wherever the hell they are and there's, there's something there that's just sort of weird and awkward about that beat and it's not just
1: that chop top annoyed me <laughs> i no, I, no. I i agree <laughs> with Randy as well like it feels like the film is neglected throughout to give the audience necessarily what they want, and um, I think, in, in principle, again, it, it probably would contradict itself um, to to do that towards the end. Um, but there isn't. There's, I think that the concept is that to kill uh, the one character we thought was going to save the day, which is Dennis Hopper, builds the atmosphere and the tension for that final uh, stand of of Caroline, uh, Caroline Williams. But then there's the indication that she, she wildly throws the chainsaw up in the, in the in the uh, air, like again, uh, from a homage to the, to the first film to imply that, you know, this, 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 the power of this uh, tool, this power of this iconography in this franchise. Uh, but it, but she, she does fight uh, a principal character that is less than uh, on, on terms with, with what we've just seen as the horrors of this, the, these characters in itself. Like, so I, I completely agree with Randy. And um I did think that it was interesting that the film implicated the, the war in Vietnam there as well, like, he keeps on saying nam nam nam, I, I, I found that to be sort of an interesting mode of like, oh so we have got some sort of written depth here, where granted it's just offbeat comments, but there's a subtext here where we can you can find a, a line through the sand of where that character's crafted from which was strange to give him that and then to play him as a comedic entity more so than anything else horrifyingly so I think it's mm-hmm. one of the, probably the best characters. I, I probably would disagree with Randy that I think I think I think it's annoying purposely um, to sort of give the audiences preconception that this this character is not as horrifying uh, until they, they commit their crimes, especially with the hammer um, hitting the uh, the radio the radio DJ. Um, but yeah, conceptually for, for them two to have that final battle felt out of place and very anticlimactic. It didn't have that umph that
0: that horror in fairness i mean i agree that you can like conceptually probably want to have this final battle to be staged between what essentially is the face of the franchise the the franchise that's just about to start and the main sort of the scream queen but equally like for the entire film we've been alluding to the fact that that there's some good in Leatherface that he's just, oh no, yeah. he has a girlfriend now. He's trying to save her. He's not exactly Buffalo Bill. He's not going like put the lotion in the basket. Like, no, oh, he's not. God. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of like, oh no, no, like you put this, put this on and they're gonna they're not gonna eat you. Like he's trying to be kind of just because he thinks he has a relationship with her after he came into an ice bath, right? Whoa. Or something. Whoa! I don't know, like it, <laughs> With his <laughs> chainsaw, I don't know. It's just, it feels like it's just like you. Maybe they just had this conversation in the writers' room, and they're like, "We can't have Leatherface doing because he's a good guy now." Well, I think I he's... think that's
1: I think that's also Toby <laughs> Hooper fighting against the studio mandate of Leatherface is the uh, is the face of this franchise. But I think to Toby Hooper, it's actually the family itself, the Sawyer family. They're all as horrifying as each other. Grandpa's mm. this d- d- decrepit old bastard in this chair. Still at the end of his day, still trying to to, to, to kill this girl. They're all evil yeah. entities, and, and yeah. they're I all think,
3: equals on the poster. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And I think yeah. I, I think that that's the point of the the ending with, uh, especially with with the Bill Moseley character, of that no matter how uh, comedic or centric these characters are, deep down they're horrifying killers. But because it's played such as a comedic edge, it's sort of Underwhelms the gravitas of what what she does to kill him, and I think this the same with the uh, is it, is it uh, with the with the uh, the chili um, cooker himself. I can never is it Jim Siedau? C-
0: yes, is it Siedau? C- I'm
1: not sure. I've been saying Sido. I'll say as well. I, I think yeah. I think how that is such on a whimper as well. Um, it's interesting yeah. how he finds balance there because at one point he's 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 crafting this notion of. All these people are evil, but in the same token that the, the the most powerful person in, in that family is is given the main stage against uh, Dennis Hopper, where the other two are almost sort of underwhelmingly brought down a peg, which I thought was a really strange sort of idea of what him to do. I don't understand the purpose of that. Perhaps that again, that's just a concept of we need this film to end now. Where we, we have to yeah. sort of bring character acts to a point, think... but. You're maybe I onto something was,
3: yeah, that. I think there's, there's also a studio piece here, which is sort of interesting that um, this has to fit the studio rules. So it's interesting. Toby Hooper is one of the architects of the new horror, we'll say, starting in the, you know, the seventies that leads into the cliches that we really get in the eighties. But now we have to play according to the eighties horror rules. Um, so it's sort of interesting. And I think that the fact that, well, we have to kill people off. That's how we resolve stuff these days. Whereas, in 1974, didn't matter, you know, who mm-hmm. lived or who died. Like not everyone had to die. She, you know, Sally just had to get away or the, we had to have the suspense of whether or not she was going to get away or not. And it, no one, the, the principal baddies didn't have to necessarily die. So like, like we're totally on the eighties horror train, I think here. It's sort of interesting to me that Toby Hooper's on that train, but he laid the tracks to a certain extent in the 70s. Yeah.
0: Could you imagine yeah. like uh, like some, someone like like a producer like Golan or Globals would be just going to Toby Hooper or someone like Toby Hooper or John Carpenter or George Romero it's like, well, you kind of have to follow the rules, Toby. Like, you know, it's like, yes. bitch, I wrote the fucking book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, don't quote the dark magic in front of me which I was there when it was written you that, know? That,
1: it reminds me of uh, that, that yeah. infamous Oliver Stone Shia LaBeouf uh, quote where on the, on the set of Money Never Sleeps the, uh, the sequel to Wall Street uh, Shia LaBeouf walks over to Oliver Stone and says uh, I don't think my character would say this and um, uh, Re- Oliver Stone responds I wrote Scarface fuck you like it's just like the <laughs> principal factor of like trying to tell just, someone yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like well I think well Oliver, I think my character is like, oh, shut up, share, like you know. Like, yeah. Go, I was go, making movies when when well, I was yeah. making movies when, when your parents were dating, you idiot.
1: <laughs> to, to go uh, to go back uh, to the film uh, ever so briefly, I must admit as well, I watched this with 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 sunshine, my 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 wife, and uh, she caught the ending of this film, and even she found it to be an abrupt full stop. And to this day, it's probably the one point which really marks me the most is that we, we I can understand what it's trying to do because it wants to just give that needle drop, but it, it comes at such like a weird point where we see this woman just raging with like fear and adrenaline and, and, mm-hmm. and the implication, we don't know what's going to happen next, and bang, we go to black. I think that it could have been done in a far, it will execute in a far stronger um, uh, manner, uh, but I think the principle of it still remains where like I can understand what he was trying to do, but I just think the execution is off. And ultimately, the ending, for me, defines the whole feature in itself. I can understand what Tobey Hooper, Hooper wanted. I can understand what Canon wanted. And I can understand what fans wanted. But the, the trifecta... And they all wanted different things. Yes, and the execution yes. <laughs> alienates everybody by giving a little bit of everything to everybody as well. Um, and it, it's such a shame because look, looking back on it um, in context as well, it's had... Twelve years to manifest mm-hmm. itself, and I'm surprised that it, considering like uh, Rick Rosenfall's sequel came out like two years later, the Friday the Thirteens, the the Halloweens, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Streets, all these films come out within years of themselves. Paranormal Activity is the same. A year, Saw is the same. It's a year after year, every after mm-hmm. two years. This had twelve years to find a voice, and for me, there was, on, on, again, granted, I wasn't alive at this point. Um, thankfully, uh, but you you look at the context of the situation because you know I'm just going to make a joke about you, but it didn't really come off, Yacker. Uh, uh, but but um, it didn't for me for me personally. I don't know for fans. It would be very interesting to see someone who lived during that period wanting Desperate to see this. It didn't set itself to the point where there was a major concern of what they were going to do with this. It felt that they had carte blanche with the actual prospect. But for me, still without any sort of repercussions, without any sort of height or or interest in this franchise, they still managed to underwhelm. And that, to me, is the most surprising because with absolutely mm-hmm. no fire under someone's arse burning you alive, no pun intended with the film, I'm just surprised and shocked that this film underwhelmed to, that, 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 to, to the descent it did because it had nothing. It was no predisposed expectation of this and they could have done anything with it. And to get Take the Chainsaw Massacre 2, the sequel to this film, knowing in context of other franchises that attempted this and, and seeing what, what goes right and wrong, to see how, how far this catered to its audiences in the wrong way and then to others in the, in the right way and again to other people in the wrong way, it still shocks me of how underwhelming this film turned out to be. But granted, I do somewhat enjoy it for what it was. But it mm-hmm. is shocking to me that we got this considering it's predecessor to this day. Every time I watch this, it always reminds me of, like, shit. Like, it it, it bums me out at the end because I'm just, like, I want to watch the original, but it's an hour and 17 minutes long, you know? There's only, like, there's only so much you can sort of unravel with that film. And then you get into three, four, then these bullshit remakes, you know? And, and the terrible one at Netflix, just fucking appalling.
3: Can you guys think of any other examples where you had a major tonal shift? Going from the first one of these to the second in the franchise before this,
0: a major ah, tonal yeah. shift. Well.
3: Going from, yeah, from one to two. Like, it's interesting here because there's the 12 gremlins? years. And I think
1: that, <laughs> do you think? Uh, I don't think that's yeah. so far off, Jakub. I mean, it's...
0: no, just we're yeah. going to talk about gremlins yeah, too, we'll but I think that. they're just going like way gonzo. But uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to say.
3: So, like, this, in a way, it could be sort Absol- of a, yeah, I'm know, still trying a to think, to bold, unique, you know, sort of a, a bold. There's, there's got I mean, yeah. to be something. I mean, be something. I
1: mean, yeah. the front of the 13th changed its whole um, well, direction with the, it, it retconning itself with its killer and and, uh, and then, like, r- redesigning its purpose of its main, uh, main character. Oh, that's
0: that's kind of what I said in the beginning. Like when mm-hmm. that the original is almost kind of like in most of these franchises, the original is kind of like a self-contained thing. Like the fr- Friday the Thirteenth is essentially Psycho, right? It's just yeah. like well, well, so is Halloween. Yeah, so so here's like Friday the thirteenth is essentially psycho. It's just there's this intrigue and then there's a twist at the end and then Jason does not feature in it at all. And then they invented the character based on the what what's, what on the motivation of the main of the main villain, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. then and they hang a franchise off of that and a stinger at the end of the film, right? But that's it, right? The only so thing I'm here, like sorry,
1: Jacob, go on, I don't make the word. Go on.
0: So, so you kind of have a similar thing going on in here, like where just there is nothing you can build on because the film was not built to sustain a franchise, right? Yeah. <sighs> I,
3: I, I like Maybe your
0: Evil Dead take. and Evil Dead 2. This is something that you kind of mentioned already. This is probably the obvious sort of example. Yeah. I, right? I've, I've got one that's not so horror. Miles apart. The, the, okay. it's, yeah. it's, it's a Fast and Furious.
1: There's such a, oh, okay. like a, a, a dis... Uh, I fucking dissonance between the first one and the one we ended up getting because the mean, first one, yeah. as you
0: know, it's essentially Point Break again, yes. right? It's yes. self-contained it's, situation it's of like we, you could stunts. you could have called it yeah. a day after the first one, not have a franchise, and people will be like, yeah. I suppose it makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah, and but I mean, you kind of have to just go. And...
1: <laughs> I mean, the the infamous quote is like, you know, you 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 die the hero, or you live live long enough to become a villain, and ultimately, these horror franchises become a parody of itself. I mean, look at Freddy vs Jason. I mean, the power that yeah. film had on paper to be executed the way it was with Kelly Rowland in it and stuff like that. Like it's just, it it's like it's. There's a point where like these films just ultimately become. Uh, a parody with it's so a little h h 20 like even the even the new halloween's like there's there's a difference between spiel up uh, sorry lord george lucas's uh, avenue of rhyme and rhythm mm-hmm. these films have to be like ripples in the water uh and then there's other films where we just ultimately parody ourselves because we have we have to exploit something that's that's got a basis of creativity yeah I th- yeah you I, know
3: yeah i th- i think that maybe there's something to this that hooper's one of the f- the first guys that said like, okay well let's Take this franchise and like you said, Jacob, let's do the second one, sort of like the first one, but looking at it through that, you know, uh, funhouse mirror, like you said. Like, and, you know, it, it takes a lot of these other series, you know, three, four, five uh, installments in the franchise before they decide to mm-hmm. uh, take a, a parody or a type of satirical look. So, you know, maybe maybe Hooper was on to something ahead of his time.
0: Um, I would so you know, like having watched this now, I mean, I have more and more respect towards this film now as we're talking, especially now now that I'm thinking about this, uh he's <clears throat> like Toby Hooper maybe maybe actually looking a little bit inward at his career as well, he's going like maybe 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 there's a commentary I can make about my own sort of experiences making films for studio. Uh, for studios and maybe there's something baked into it as well that he's trying to actually poke fun at this and uh, he actually really is trying to upset and uh, gross me out based on the fact that he's he's now trying to make me think like I'm watching a movie so definitely you're gonna laugh now right so, so maybe this is a, like maybe this film is a little bit more sort of meta aware of itself I don't know
1: but has he ever showcased those that type of Influence and anything else. I, I, I think sometimes it's e- it's easy to go down that route to give the film a little bit more power in itself. But I, I don't think Toby Hooper is a is a director who has those um, external influences in his in his cinema. I don't think there's enough there to
0: to find that. Granted, I mean, I'm he, not I'm not saying he, you're, you're wrong. He yeah. remade like Invaders from Mars, for instance, right? So he's acutely aware of certain types of filmmakers. Like he, like Poltergeist is essentially a Twilight Zone film anyway. So, I I, yeah. I think he has like he 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 puts stuff in his films that that kind of just connect to certain sort of pedigree of cinema I think like and and the only sort of thing sort of thing that's kind of like an outlier in there is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one, which is just I think just an experiment <laughs> that came together just miraculously <laughs> against Went all right. odds. Yeah,
3: I'll say this on on that because I had a very similar thought whenever uh, Jim Sita, just before he died, well, actually throughout, Jim Cedow's whole, whole performance is built on this idea of him being an entrepreneur. And there's all these little comments, which I wonder, oh, it's always the small businessman that gets screwed over by taxes or everyone has it out for the small businessman. It's always no, the right, small yeah. businessman that gets screwed in the ass. And like I wonder if this is a dig at his experience with Kim Henkel in the first film, because they got royally screwed over by, I forget the company now, that that bought and distributed uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was the same company that distributed Deep Throat. They made a ton of money and didn't really c- claim it all. So there's very little to give back to uh, the Henkel and uh, Hooper production company. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, there was <laughs> very... The Mars there was, bar and a hug.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like God. Henkel
3: and yeah, Henkel and Hooper got their 65,000 or 90,000, whatever it turned into, they got their budget back and then there was another 40,000 for everyone else to split up. So it was very small potatoes after, you know, the film went on to make, you know, tens of millions of of dollars. So I, I wondered if CEDAW was a bit of a, a, a very direct line to his experience with Henkel on the first one. And I, I, I had that comment throughout. So, but I also agree. Like I can't really think of any other instances, maybe where
1: Hooper's that type of a storyteller. I think I think you're right, Randy. I think I think it, it being in another film would feel sort of like strangely out of context. Whereas here, there's a direct link, like you said, and it, and and there's like a, a verbal confirmation of like you know, like it's gonna he's gonna rob me out of thousands of dollars. It, it's it's in there in print as well. So you probably you're probably right there. I think You're definitely onto something, no doubt. Mm.
0: I will say this, like having watched this, by the way, uh, you 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 can't deny, like what you watch this, you can't deny that that the, Toby Hooper had massive influence on two people. One of them would be Rob Zombie, the other one would be James Wan, right? Ooh, like this just I'd agree so with the former. I wouldn't agree.
1: With, I wouldn't agree with the latter. I think the latter is oh, yes. un- undoubtedly Spielberg.
0: Malignant is his Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. No, like I'm stop. not even kidding. Stop. Like this it's just over the top. It's 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 weird and it's jazzy and it's so just on the nose, gruesome. It's just like, yeah, look at me. This I think fun. I think like, this is the well, COVID talking. Now? This
1: hmm? is the this no. is the COVID or the <laughs> or the the uh cough medicine talking there.
0: Possibly, no, but well J- James will on, James I'm on one record. Is... I'm on record as someone as someone who really liked malignant, but yeah, one uh, of one of in, very ge- few. in general David it, not David James Wan is kind of one of those guys who actually did like look I think he has these moments in his films where he, he he looks like he's he's really trying to recreate the dinner scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then in some of his films now I now I realize he's trying to recreate the, the sort of like, energy of like the latter half of the second one but but,
1: but that so, that but isn't but isn't everyone going back to the well doing that because it's a cultural phenomenon of its time it's like look at look at every single mafia film The Sopranos even arcs back to The Godfather because it's a defining moment in in the law.
0: I I think I think James. Some people, not everyone, does right. Like it's not like Jordan Peele is going back to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just like some people reverberate with that with 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 this movie more more than others, and then some people really take and run with it. And like Rob Zombie is definitely someone who who went like, uh, you know. He looked at uh, Toby Hooper's body of work and goes, and he goes like, "This is mine now." <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I think I think Rob Zombie probably looked at um, Toby Hooper's filmography and realized you can get away with that, and then looked at John Carpenter and realized he could direct that. And I think James James One is on a very technical level above them both in the sense that how James One uses camera is Kubrickian, mm-hmm. but but has has the manifest of Spielberg. He has a brilliant balance of it. Um, Malignant aside, I, th- I think uh, J- James Wan is obviously a superior director, but you do need the Rob Zombies in life, and I think Rob Zombie is a wonderful sort of taking that. Well, I'm that... happy he exists. No I, I, no, I know. I we, we've
0: had some films are better than others that he makes. But, you yes, we,
1: we've had we've had discussions about Rob Zombie, especially with these two Halloween films. We've spoken about him a few times I here, had there, and here
0: put a content warning in front of the episode because yeah. people cried.
1: Is it? Well, <laughs> it's a difficult with, with, with the first Halloween. But um there is there's, Rob Zombie especially that's why you should watch Monsters. He he probably finds his niche there, which I'm gonna do in my review of very soon, it should be uploaded so but um I think I think Rob Zombie again like he, he passes on the cultural baton of, of what Carpenter um wanted to sort of make crazy wise, but actually uh, Toby Hooper put into film I think you, you're you so right. There's such a lineage where you look at anything, the uh, 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 31, for example, and you look at uh, this, there's definitely a connection there. Like, mm-hmm. undoubtedly. And, and, I, and I think that, that there's got to be sort of power to this film where it will. It's like a crazy midnight film, isn't it? You'll find this on like a fucking three digit channel. You'll put it on and you'll be like, there's a sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You'll watch it, you'll forget about it, but there'll be something about where it lives long in the memory. I'm not too sure we've found what that thing is to me, and I don't think anybody ever will, because there's just something weird about this film where you want to watch it, but I think you've got to have the context of what came before and after to appreciate this. I think watching it in its singularity is kind of like a very fucked up experience where you don't ultimately get what you pay for, but understanding what came before it, the foundation, the house that built it, and understanding what came after it, there's definitely a newfound appreciation, but that's probably as, as far as I would go with this now. I think uh, the second time watching it, it is a film where I think it should have been pre- uh, presented by our video. It deserves that highlight because it's very wacky, it's very strange, and and it's it's the bloodline of, of, of things we're, we're going to see uh, in the future especially again like you said with Ram Zombie but it just doesn't touch on anything contemporary wise at all and it's a shame but it, it, it's definitely a, a, a thing to sort of look at Tubba Hooper for one and look at his career more so than looking at it as a franchise mm-hmm. a film anywhere
0: I think with that it's probably a good idea to just kind of wrap up now perfect Randy, do you want? To, uh, uh, I'm half tempted to kind of treat this as your final take because it was just well well put together. I'm just like, yeah, check the gates, check the gates, Lee <laughs> <laughs> like, us. Keep... I
1: cannot believe you said that. <laughs> just, uh, where where Randy. has that come from as well? That that doesn't just manifest itself. Where has that
0: come from? I'll, just, I'll plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah for me
3: this this was a great conversation similar to last week when we talked about nothing but trouble. There's some films that to watch them, you know they're flawed, and you know you you watch it and you know there's just this film isn't for you, but having a conversation like this, I can really appreciate things that maybe Hooper is trying doesn't necessarily land. I'm not necessarily there for this type of comedy, and I'm not convinced that much of it works uh some maybe and you know, the the horror, some of it works, some doesn't. So it, the film's sort of shaky on it. But I ha- I now, courtesy of this conversation, have a little bit more of an appreciation for maybe what the attempt was. And I'm starting to think maybe that Hooper was sort of special, at least in his idea, not necessarily mm-hmm. in terms of how it all came together of, okay, well, let's take Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, and look at it through this funhouse type of lens, as Jakob suggested. And that's maybe what, what right this, this is. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've already I've already used it a couple of times, so <laughs> yeah. I'll f- I'll fight That's you for it. it.
0: Yeah. Uh, just, so, you used it more than I did. Like, holy shit, Now it's yours.
3: Yeah. Um yeah, Squatters rights. So yeah, this <laughs> this film is it's interesting. Um, but it's it, I don't want to see it again, at least not anytime soon. Um, you know, I think there's something to the idea that. Hooper may have been he may have had a more impressive body of work if he were challenged more by more uh, frontline types of issues like not having a budget or, you know, having to creatively uh, fix a problem that arises on set. Those things that he overcame with a small creative team on Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, when he falls under. You know the system that has budgets of eight million, twenty million, forty million. It just it just seems that he's more of the competent journeyman as opposed to a really interesting voice. And mm. uh, I, I, even with this conversation, I'm I'm probably even a little bit more convinced of that. Um, but anyway, those are those are my final thoughts. I, I couldn't. Is I more interesting that, as a project.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said that better. Like I think you're bang on there, and absolutely bang on, nailed it.
0: You know, I agree. Like, th- I'm, mean, you know, I'm happy this movie exists. It's one of those things when you say, "Oh, it's difficult to kind of like watching it because, like, I never, I, like, I'm again, like, me comparing this to Rob Zombie. Like, I never walk out of a Rob Zombie film going, like, I can't wait, wait to watch it again. <laughs> like, this is amazing, you know, like, cause, cause, this is a, this is, this is taxing. Like, this is draining, and and it's draining and taxing on purpose, right? I think this at least in this case, it, like, it's you're supposed to be just. Emer- uh, you, you're supposed to emerge like really tired with this like you're supposed to be just happy that this is all all over which I suppose is designed into it because you're may, you it, you may actually vicariously live through the character who just just about barely survived as well right but fair enough but then after a while I think it kind of comes upon where you just start to think like maybe I should revisit like thousands of a thousand, thousand corpses or something like this maybe I should you know <laughs> There, there's this sort of allure. There's this magnetism, and I think this magnetism is here as well. There's I, like, like uh, three months from now, I'll be r- randomly thinking, you know what? Da, maybe, maybe, maybe I should, you know, put on, put on Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, see how how this change <laughs> can turn out again. You know, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think it, it it's one of those that is like uh, you, you can't form a cult like on on twitter now that it would just have people be walking walking into it just like and watching twin and watching it like 20 times or that like it's impossible right so on that level i would say yeah i'm happy it exists i'm happy it's it's on my shelf and then possibly down the line i'll see it again and then again and then again because there's something about it that's just magnetizing to me there's this craft. There is this energy. There is this—the fact that it's completely just wacko different to the original. It's just in it again, like a funhouse mirror reflection of the original. <laughs> like it's—it's it's, it's just game is weird, on. It's just <laughs> weird. Yeah, it's like this weird experiment of just let's let's take this some, some this weird lightning in a bottle and then try to make poke fun with it, and then I find immense pleasure at sort of looking at how toby hooper desperately trying to make people laugh with his films and he's failing <laughs> because he's just like why are you not people laughing x rating like why is it it's a pg film like why are you people talking about and then you just no like it's banned and in, in, in all over the world and he doesn't know why <laughs> it's just the best <laughs> so so it, i just find it fascinating to me especially that there's a lot of craft behind it there's the the special effects are just amazing and I don't know, there's there's something about it, even though like it's essentially a remake of the original for for a good half of it, and Dennis Hopper is nowhere to be seen half the time because it's either stoned on the or, or they cut out his scenes out of out <laughs> of the film because this is what this is where it was dragging because they were just like, We don't need to look at Dennis Hopper light up a joint. I mean, it's just I know this was production value, Toby, but like he does it every five minutes. Okay. So, <laughs> so so, I don't, I don't know. There's something about it. I, I really like the fact that this movie exists, even, even though it's flawed. It's paced like a. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't even know if, even if it's paced at all. Like, this is just a collection of scenes where people shout while music's playing. This is just great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there's that's me and Texas Chainsaw on Massacre 2. Now, top threes. How about that? So, Jack, give us your top three moments of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Right, so oh,
1: there's going to there's be a combination. Don't theme limit it here. to
3: three. If you if you got a dozen of them, go for no, it. No,
1: I won't do it. I, I'm, I'm gonna, there's going to be sort of a combination here. Uh, third, I, uh, the third, the third, starting the third right. So, the uh, opening of uh, Dennis, Dennis Hopper's character when we see him in the car, the cigarette bang out, walks out, and they all of his cigarette? It. No, well, I was a single weed. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Jane. Um it's definitely a, a drug that is now legal in the state. But um
0: It's crack baby.
1: Yeah, well I think he's still got <laughs> the state so you need to be careful about that one. But yeah. Um but yeah, I, I love I love the iconography, I love it's Dennis Hopper, it looks cool as fuck, it looks elegant, there's an air of mystery around it. He gets out of this car, he goes to inspect, he he says nothing whatsoever. It's all visual stimulation. He touches the, these uh, these cuts into this metal. He knows what it is. It sets up our film. I find it so immersive and so atmospheric. Uh, but, but you bottle that, you've got me. The second one, again, is the opening sequence where we're firing these guns off in, in the car chase and the guy with the stupid sunglasses looks away, looks yeah. back, and his friend's head's been cut open. The practical effect. That's the first time in the film where I was like, oh, it got me completely. Um, atmospheric, Ooh, horrifying. Thought-
0: i forgot to mention this opening does it feel to you like it's kind of taken out of mad max just saying oh
1: i no. don't know I can, i understand um i was
0: just like okay is this george miller just <laughs> protruding here <laughs> i didn't i didn't is... like
1: the guy with the sunglasses laugh that really fucked me off it was like constantly See? giggling mad max. um yeah. But no, I can see the 1979 one. I don't know about... Guess, yeah, that's not, the
0: 1979 one. like The one that's no, actually were you, were, annoying.
1: Were you seeing the Tina Turner Welcome to the Thunderdome?
0: Two men enter, it. one man leaves. I mean, yeah, it yeah. would be much more two interesting if one man yeah. enters, two men <laughs> leaves.
1: Yeah. Um, but no, but uh, the, the practical effects where the guy's head just gone um, and he's screaming, screaming. When we don't... Um, we see the head slowly fall off as well towards the end. Uh, and then it mm-hmm. cuts to uh, the radio station. I thought that was really well done, executed as a set piece. It was horrifying. It was suspenseful. Uh, we had the gore, and then we had the sort of maturity of a director to take that away to to not see the end of that result, uh, which which I thought was very very well done by Toby Hooper. Um, and the third is the sequence with Caroline Williams when the the DJ awakens with the face and he Mm -hmm. puts the he put uh, well before that whole sequence itself actually where leatherface puts the, the the uh the uh face on her and she's screaming underneath and the blood's underneath and it's soaking her and she's horrified the tension in that scene granted it's sort of underlaid with a bit too much comedic edge for me but when he wakes up and he's like he has no idea what's going on and he's losing the plot and um I thought it was like superb, exactly comedic balance. But t- well, not even comedic balance, but balance of tone was exceptional there. Uh, but just too little too late for me and yeah. uh, and, and probably a little bit too little in, in, in length with the running time as well. But those are my top three. Um, again, like all visual simulation, nothing under under <laughs> anything worth of like abundance of, uh, of depth or anything, but those will be my top three.
3: Awesome. Randy all right i meant to mention this earlier one thing that i think toby hooper does really good job of is incorporating screaming into his films like the screaming of marilyn burns in texas chainsaw massacre and uh eaten alive because she's also in that and there's a little girl in that there's just he uses that on the uh, on the soundtrack just so effectively and it's in here too like the Caroline Williams uh, has excellent lungs. I'll give her that. And anyway, the, the screaming does create it's a, a, new a tone and an energy. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I meant to mention that earlier. So, um, a couple honorables. <laughs> excellent, wonderful lungs. Uh,
0: There's nothing on anyway. Jamie Lee.
3: <laughs> uh, just I'm Square, thinking this. lungs, and I'm I'm thinking of the flesh for Frankenstein. Anyway, okay. Get out of that mode. Okay. Honorable mentions here. Dennis Hopper shopping for chainsaws. Just the whole sequence yes. is great. But the old, <laughs> the old salesman, when he's watching uh, Dennis Hopper yeah. just chopping at this tree oh boy. with a chainsaw. Oh boy. The old salesman. Oh, my aching
1: banana. <laughs>
2: what a- what a weird like, moment. I, I love how he bright just bright
1: like, bright. puts like $1,000 down, just picks anything he wants as well. Like, and yeah. they're all $100 bills. I was like,
2: what? Yeah. <laughs> that was such a weird uh, moment. That is classic.
1: Um,
3: and all, also a shout out to this cave, this cavern or their lair is completely <laughs> adorned with Christmas lights. Crazy weird vibe. I thought that was wonderful.
0: Um, okay. The ambience—they really care about yeah. the ambience. Absolutely. <laughs> light, light some. I mean, suppose we have to light some candles because the stink in there is going to be fucking horrible. Oh yeah,
1: All they ha-
0: all the money that they that they earn selling chili is just going like straight down to Tesco to buy Yankee candles. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> uh,
3: okay. My number three, my actual list here. So, um, yeah, I like. I like the uncomfy vibe, and specifically, I like when Leatherface uh, dances. He's got these weird, like he, that is sort of comedy that's working for me. Is where he's got this weird dance, and he's doing it throughout. And he's doing the Gangnam
0: style every now and again, you know. It sort of is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just, just um, runs at the uh, at this sort of thing, and he goes like Gangnam style. Yeah. <laughs> that is, yeah. That- that's precisely what it is. Uh
3: number two, I, I do, even though Chop Top sort of bothered me, I I did sort of like the creepy vibe where he shows up at the radio station. It's it works mm-hmm. and he won't leave. And that ends up leading into the Leatherface intro where he sort of bursts through a door. I think that's uh pretty well handled. That that business there it works well for me. Um, and number one, just in general, Jim Cedow. I think he's great. He's got this weird, awkward presence. It's probably the only role he can really do and suck me in. But I think he's just got this weird, wonderful, comedic, hick vibe. And his dialogue, too. S-C-E-X-6. <laughs> you turn traitor over a piece of tail. Like, just the dialogue <laughs> is just so fitting for this gentleman. And he just nails it. And, yeah, I think he's... Great, that's my list.
0: <laughs> wow, we <coughs> okay. I'm limiting myself to three, uh, because I'm trying. To, uh, this is called growth, okay. I need to just calm oh, down. Here we go. Okay, number one the leather face jump scare number one, which is you know, like the Radio Shack where you have chop top. It's ex- ex- I agree. This is a great moment when he goes, like, Oh it's it's kind of like the hitchhiker scene where you just don't know what you're dealing with because there's guy who's kind of clearly unhinged and then there's, like you know, and something's going to happen and then all of a sudden, this they, they just open a door and then just he goes down. And I'm just sitting, sitting on the sofa, just, just in a pool of my own diarrhea because I just shot myself. It's so, it just takes you by surprise. It's just the best. Although... There's one little thing like, well, how does he switch on the sort of chainsaw without everyone knowing? Because he just, it's just this quiet, quiet, quiet. And he's just at like 5,000 RPMs out of nowhere. And just doesn't he have to go like first. Like, no, just he he's just like, he's ready to go. So I suppose we're in a movie. Anyway, number two, FaceTime, I called it. So... So that moment where, where Leatherface just you know peels it peels the LG's face off and he goes like oh that'll will fit her nicely and then he just puts it on, on her and then she screams and then she goes like underneath and I'm just thinking and I'm sitting there just going like this is this is this is some oh <laughs> this is great but I just I'm trying to hold down my dinner you know this is great <laughs> and then the third one is. I called it the hammer time and that's the hammer time in the radio shack where they're trying to get oh. LG down It's so gruesome and they're just really pound at him and then he's still alive. And then when you realize that he's still alive while they're just, while they're really smashing his skull and I'm just, fuck, mate. Uh, <sighs> okay, Okay. Yeah, it's a great, great moment and, and the gore is just everywhere. It's so, it's amazing. Bottoms? Oof. Show me your bottoms.
1: Oh, not on this podcast. It's so all visual. Um, let me think. I, I, I've had I've had most issues with this film, but three singular issues are probably it would have. Um, pff, fuck.
0: um, it's perfect. No,
1: <laughs> no, it's not necessarily. I, I think this. May, I don't have in, in particular. I more have like issues of like pacing and stuff like that. Um. The, the third issue, uh, the, the 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 third one I would have is probably that ultimately it's, a, it's just the act structure is set in one setting, second setting, third setting, and I don't mind that, but ultimately it becomes frustrating because there's a world here, and we spend way too much time in in in, uh, in places that are in setting that's not optimized to be uh, explored to a, f- a fulfilling and thrilling extent. Um, that would be my third one. The second one is, I I, I find that like, why? As a, this is more such a character niche thing, but why Lefter lets the woman, uh, Caroline Williams, um, like as bait? So he wouldn't have known that she would have been. He would have been able to follow her. Like he, she, he would allow her to die there, all mm-hmm. in, the, in the sake of getting these people, which ultimately. Makes no sense to his character act because his his, his uh, nephew was murdered, and his niece is catatonic. That film's a really distasteful and sort of distant character act for him to do. And the third one is the fact that I really like the the thing about when I said beforehand about the the uh, this is the, the, the ice bath. No, 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 the, no, the ice bath is classic. I'm, I'm not even going to maintain that. Um, <laughs> earlier on, the, when I said about the the car chases. Toby Hooper cuts away in a moment where it can become suspenseful because we don't know what happens to those two characters. We know one presumably is dead, but we don't know what happens to the second one. We don't know what the guy with the glasses. And that cutaway causes more suspense, It causes more atmosphere and tension. But he also replicates that towards the end with the grenade. And I think the implication he was trying to get is the same feeling of, oh, suspense, tension. We don't see them die. We don't, we don't know they die. But it sort of counteracts and contradicts the whole notion of needing to see that character arc of Lefty be completed and also see the demise of the Sawyers. And because he doesn't do that and he, he he pulls the same technique, he's thinking that it's going to get the same uh, re, um, result and it doesn't. The implication of the result is two very tonal different things. And that's a where I'm, I'm I'm sort of like, you've shown really good promise here, but you I, I don't understand necessarily why you've achieved that and what, what that's going to achieve ultimately. Now, it, 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 granted, it's its my, my biggest bugbear in the film overall, and it, it might not sound like such, but the repercussions of that really frustrate me because we don't get to see the demise of Leatherface that we've built up for throughout the film. We want to see this character, the character die, um, we want to see an arc finally brought down from uh, from Lefty's point of view, but also we want to see this battle, and we get to see it, but we don't get to see the finality of it. Uh, and it's just so everly frustrating because that's the whole point and focus of the film is you want to see these two being brought together, and for to cut away not to see that and not to see the the repercussions and and the end result. To me, just feels like really patronizing and anticlimactic. And I, I struggle to find the rhythm and notion of why he would have tried to achieve that and why and the thought processes behind it and I still never can Been two films I have two viewings of this film and again this conversation over two hours and I, ha- I just can't understand his point of view that that would be my biggest bug there
0: hmm. Fair enough I mean maybe he, this is a meta conversation maybe he's doing it on purpose like this is an anti-Hollywood film
1: no, stop. Stop yourself now. Stop yourself.
0: It's a Hollywood film through a funhouse mirror. Yeah. <laughs> I I, I... Three
1: to two.
3: Three to two on usage.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Randy.
3: All right. I have a couple a couple small ones. One is so when uh the cook or what's his name, Drayton Sawyer, when he wins this cook off for the best chili. The trophy is absolutely oh. disgusting. <laughs> it looks like it has raw sewage in it. This
1: is so gross. It's all leaking so... down his top as well. Did you notice? Oh yes, cannibalized kind of <laughs> oh, my bottom shit. three
0: already. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, That's okay, wow. That's just... I kept it. Like no one mentioned this. <laughs> I can't just, I was just, I was thinking like, yes, this is happening for once. <laughs> okay, no one's I'll... mentioned this, and I'm just okay. It's gonna be mine. No, it's, it's not. Hor- it,
1: that, that was more gross than the peppercorn. I found that bit. Yes, it's absolutely. Like shit. It was. sewage <laughs> shit running down <laughs> totally. his, his jacket top. Yeah. All
3: right. So one thing I didn't understand, and uh, more or less the opening scene, the radio station uh, call-in sequence, I didn't understand. This This is another mini Ugly. Why couldn't? Why couldn't she, the DJ, cut cut off the call? Mm. She kept uh. trying to summon. Is that on your
0: list too? No, but. <laughs> Randy, you're old enough to remember landlines. Have you never, have you never had this? Like someone calls you, and then it's like, oh, you hang up, and then just like you hang, you hang up, but that person doesn't. You try to, you, you try to kind of call someone else. Like, no, this person's still on the line.
3: Oh, I, th- I think a radio station would be able to, I'm you know, like, cu- cut off the caller. <laughs> that doesn't make any, that doesn't make any sense to me. And that she needs LG in another room, who could be running errands. Like she, who's pressing like
1: every button imaginable on the DJ deck as well. Not very good at his (laughs) job. Yeah. Yeah. So
3: that didn't quite make sense, but you know, we need that dynamic for the scene to unfold, but I thought it was a silly dynamic. Um, Okay. So my, my number three, I don't know if you guys caught this, but whenever they're playing chicken with the truck. So these two young dudes are playing chicken with the truck. And, the truck honks its horn and it's like a clown car horn I- <laughs>
0: yeah it has the classic auga sound I- <laughs> like, it's
3: just like a, there's a bunch of clowns in here anyway uh that was sort of weird for me number two um yeah just the the length of the scene where they're trying to recreate the dinner and the hammer to the head just the amount of mimicry there like it's long and I think it's needless, and that's its own.
2: <laughs> I, know.
3: I know. Could you imagine if there was a clown that was assassinated in like a, a gangland film, and he falls in this I, horn, and you know you... how the horn stays going? And <laughs> did you
0: did you prefer if it was like a proper clown clown sound? Like...
3: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, yeah back to my number two my number two is just the the length of the the dinner and the hammer to the head sequence it it creates i think it creates structural problems too with the film for being as long as it is
0: the grandpa's useless no
3: oh, he's totally useless he's not as interesting as they <laughs> um, really tried to involve it was yeah. in the original um and tom savini was really proud of his makeup on the grandpa here i guess i was reading he said this is some of the best makeup i've mm-hmm. ever done but and dennis hopper um,
0: was too high to see it
3: well, speaking yeah. of Dennis Hopper, I think that's one of the issues with the length of this is, you know, he's sawing these load bearing beams forever, you know, two caves away. And this scene is going on so long, it further minimizes the value, I think, of, uh, you know, Dennis Hopper and what he's Completely doing. Completely agree. So, yeah, bang on. Um, and yeah, my number one is, is similar to what you said, Jack. Just I have Leatherface and Cook die off screen or die off screen yeah. and it just sort of minimized and it leads into an ending where there's more question marks than satisfaction so
0: or did they, mm, or did they?
1: well this is the third one is it 1990
0: isn't it the third one oh 1990
1: is one uh
3: might be just 90 or 91 because the next generation
1: and, and is 94 isn't it i think so 94,
3: yeah yeah
0: four of 95 that 1990 bad, is, is the third one
1: yeah i thought so a year, uh, a year before Terminator Two Judgment Day, I mean living it over there out there in the cinema world.
0: Oh uh, sequels. Uh well, you know. Anyway, my turn. Okay. Number one go. LG spitting indoors. Like he's in this radio shack and he goes like <laughs> I mean like you're like you work here, you idiot. Like w- <laughs> scum. Like he, he like <laughs> serves <Scum>. him right. <laughs> He got
3: what was coming to him, didn't <laughs> yeah. he? Just, like,
0: you know, just look at look at us just peeling his legs off, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah. good for you, fucking, Jesus fucking animal, fucking Christ! Uh,
3: what's what's the punishment for? <laughs> yeah, spitting on the floor. Yeah, you get uh,
0: Now If Leatherface could speak, he was just. This is what I saw you spit on the floor. You <laughs> fucking savage. Yeah. Here you animal. go, animal. <laughs> Stop hammer time. You know. Anyway, <clears throat> number two, this is what's been kind of ravaged already. The fact they put chili in the trophy and then Jim Saito is holding it, clearly ru- ruining <laughs> his, his suit. <laughs> and then the third one is not a moment. It's just a general thing that I had to say. The fact they refer to Leatherface as Leatherface is bothering me. Why don't they call him like Bubba or like, I don't know, Goober. I don't know, something, right? Um, uh, yeah, it's just, it's oh, laterface, like coming here. No, it's just... Mm. It's like a
1: self-referential, like, oh, like, oh, the audience, is like, it's like. I felt the same way. I like like, as a one-off, I'm like, oh, good reference. And then it's constantly
0: used. No, no. It's like, but I constantly. don't know. Like... <sighs>
3: Whenever you said it earlier, it's like, it's in the 80s. It was all about making nicknames. Like, the G.I. Joe toys at the time, they had to have the cool nicknames. You know, everything had to have a nickname. And I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like what you, you said that? Like yeah. they
0: just like we have this horror franchise and the villain does not have a name. Oh no, we have the mother. No, it has to be Jason. Jason this, Jason that Jason and Michael, and what's the what's what's Leatherface's name? Goober? No. Uh, it's like, no, we can't have Goober. <laughs> no, Goober G-Dou-O-B-E-R. G- 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 <laughs> Goober. Goober. <laughs>
1: G-O-O-B-E-R. Goober.
2: Goober. <laughs> Ghibli- I don't know. It's like what is his
0: name? Bubba? And it's, like, Bubba. Yeah. it's leather Leatherface. It
1: get it goddamn right it's leather face. no but
0: then like what if, like, if, if there's michael myers jason Voorhees, and Baba sawyer I and mean, just <laughs> it's just and they're like oh we missed the trick on that one didn't we like because like freddy krueger rolls off the tongue very nice very marketable and then just like oh we can't do anything with this guy's name like he's just oh i know Leatherface, and it doesn't make sense he's not I his face um, not made of leather
1: I wonder if uh, that's why, like Toby Hooper, made more emphasis on the Sawyer family. Like, oh, it's the Sawyers. Maybe that's what the issue was. Is, but I agree with you completely. Like, there's like the yes, in the in, in uh, the um, in the radio shack. Like, he must say his name like 16 times.
0: Yeah, and then a lot of stuff happens in that in that radio shack. And then still, this is the worst thing that happens in there. You know, okay. like the ice bath and everything. Aside from, from getting beaten to death, I a man is a
1: beaten to death with a hammer, and that's your main objection, is
0: it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it can be, yeah, because we're in a horror film, so you know, like you expect someone to, to get beaten. In, God, there's the hammer. no empathy, is there? There's <laughs> no
1: empathy. And, at no, at not all. after
0: he spits on the floor. <laughs> is, it, is he <laughs> chewing tobacco as well, or is it just. Well, yeah, well, then you can have what you, what you, what you might call it, you know, a, a bucket. Spittoon, spittoon yeah? yeah. <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, just like be a civilized savage and at least have a little sort of container into which, like, you'll be collecting this rancid spittle. Like, um, not to just,
1: digress, but where does he fuck off to and come back? Where is he meant to have been?
0: Doesn't he? Doesn't he go He's to uh come,
1: coming back with coffee or something? Is not oh
0: uh, All right. I, I thought that at some point didn't they go to like cover the chili sauce, sausage fest or whatever? I was going to say no, because no, like he went there.
1: Because in the back room, it's full of fucking shit. They could have drunk and eaten, and like an ice bath that's no like looked quite fresh. He
0: has standards, okay? He spits oh, on the it? floor, but he likes yeah. his coffee fresh.
1: He wanted, he wanted, to, he wanted to go for a big gulp at Seven Eleven round the back. Yeah. That's what he wanted.
0: like well, what he wanted was like he really fancied that, like a nice, quiet wank in the in the in, oh, in, in the Jesus wilderness. Christ. So he had to kind of go and Jesus, what man? <laughs>
3: It's Texas. It's
1: Texas, yeah. so it's- yeah. <laughs> anything could happen. Rooting two <laughs> in Texas. Anywhere. But to say Dennis Hopper was waiting outside, we don't know what's going on.
3: Well, <laughs> or do it's we. called a reach around.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I meant by the big gulp. <laughs>
0: On that note, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 (laughs) is available to be watched on Blu-ray, and if 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 you acquire it on if you acquire it on via Arrow Video, I'm not sure if it's like a Scream Factory situation in America. Probably is. It's it's also available to be uh, a HBO Max. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, Then you can rent it or buy it or do whatever you please. But go and watch it. And then you know, like this is the Rob Zombie film you should be watching instead of the new Rob Zombie film because it's better. Anyway.
1: Stop. Stop.
0: No, some no, no. I'm I'm joking. I like Rob Zombie. He's he's nice. Uh, what was I saying? Anyway, we've done it. So that's that's us in the conversation on Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Now, Jack, where can we find you and your stuff on the on the line online?
1: You, you can find me on both Letterboxd, Twitter, and on Clapper with the username at Jack Luke Sharp.
0: Well, awesome, nice and nice and quick. Also, logically, makes no sense because you said both, so implies two things, and you mentioned three. I'm just saying.
1: Oh, you can find me on on everything from <laughs> <that looks> Daluca.
0: <laughs> just that's my username. Just find me on that, please. Uh, fair enough, Randy. Uh,
3: okay, you can find me on Twitter at Randy Burrows, you can find me on Letterboxd at bratch 7 and you can find the occasional article that I write on clapperltd.co.uk.
0: And actually one's coming out because I pulled my finger out. Out of out boy. <laughs> it's a full month. Oh, in the purgatory. I'm so sorry. Anyway. Uh well, we've all had Twitter a bad year. <laughs> huh? What?
1: We've all had a bad year, don't we?
0: Well, some yeah, some of us worse than others, no? Uh, oh. with your visas and whatnot. Well yeah. No, yeah. I've had a... I had a um I can't I can't complain about my year. It's been it's been wonderful so far.
1: The decrepit COVID era you're going through
0: now. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm getting COVID when it's no longer fashionable to get COVID. Like the, Two years ago, you post a n- lateral flow test on Twitter, you get you go viral, and it's like now no one gives a shit. Like just fucking like I feel like a middle aged man's just like who gives a shit? Grow up, just get do your job. You're getting to the trend too late, like an old man would as well. You're going to be yeah, down exactly. with
1: the kids, but now you're down with the sickness. Oh,
0: yeah, exactly. Every sing- By the way, every single time someone says "down with the sickness," oh, I'm I'm actually putting that clip in there in all in all instances anyway. What the oh, ah, that one, <laughs> uh-huh. oh, ah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, uh, anyway, talk about film, Twitter, Yakub Flash, letterbox Clapper, UK, Flash Film.com is where you can find me and my shizzle, and also follow the show at Uncut Gems Pod Everywhere, which is Twitter, Instagram. Facebook and TikTok-ish. Um, com is our HQ where you can go and browse through our shizzle. And also, uh, this is where you'll find out that apart from the main show, there is also these bonus shows on our Patreon, which is pod where three bucks a month buys you access to all other stuff that we have in there. So not much money to spend and you'll get hours and hours and hours of great conversations about great films. Anyway, so that's us. And then also... Uh, get in touch. uncutdreamspot@gmail.com is where you can find us. Really, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Do whatever you need to do to help us get discovered, and then we'll hope to see you next week. And we'll be talking about Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, you know, take pride in your family and then eat that chili. Anyway, see you. See you next week.